This is Commission President Ryan Calkins convening the regular meeting of December 13th, 2022. The time is 10.33 a.m. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle headquarters, building commission chambers, and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Present with me today are Commissioners Cho, Fellman, and Muhammad, who are currently gathered in the executive session room awaiting the opening of the public meeting. Commissioner Hasegao is absent and excused from the meeting. We'll now recess into the executive session to discuss two items regarding litigation or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 4230-110-1I and one item related to litigation or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 4230-110-1I and performance of a public employee RCW 4230-110-1G for approximately one hour. And we'll reconvene into public session at noon. Thank you very much. Thank you. We are in recess. Good afternoon. This is Commission President Ryan Calkins reconvening the regular meeting of December 13th, 2022. The time is 12.07 p.m. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle headquarters building, Commission Chambers, and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Clerk Hart, can you please call the roll of all commissioners in attendance? Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Chow. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa is absent and excused from this meeting today. And Commissioner Calkins. I'm here as well. Thank you. You do have a quorum. Due to the continued virtual component of participation for our meetings, we have staff, external presenters, and members of the public who may be participating on their personal devices or from their telephones today. We've made arrangements to accommodate this virtual format. Later, we'll take public comment on items related to the conduct of the port from people who are participating by teams, as well as from those in person who have signed up to speak. For anyone participating in Microsoft Teams, please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your cameras off unless you are a member of the commission or executive director participating virtually, or you are a member of staff in a presentation and are actively addressing the commission. Members of the public addressing the commission may turn on their cameras when their name is called to speak. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off the speakers on any computers and silence your devices. When you are recognized to speak, you will press the button for your microphone to be audible and will press it again to silence it when not actively speaking. All votes today will be taken by the roll call method, so it is clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. I ask that all commissioners wait to be recognized before speaking. We are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people, with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may be rebroadcast by King County Television. Please stand and join me for the Pledge of Allegiance. Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The first item of business today is approval of the agenda. I understand, Commissioner Fellman, that you've requested to pull item 8N from the consent agenda to be discussed separately. Is that correct? Also, if there's no objection, we'll reorder item 11A on the agenda to be heard immediately after public comment and prior to the consent agenda. Any objection to that? Okay. 
This is to accommodate the earlier discussion of the item for those who are in attendance for it. We'll proceed with that order of business. Are there any other items to be pulled from the consent agenda or any other motions to rearrange the orders of the day? All right. Commissioners, the question is now on approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda as amended? So moved. Second. The motion has been made and seconded. Is there any objection to the approval of the agenda as amended? Hearing none, the agenda is approved as amended. Commissioners, we do have a special order of the day to begin our meeting. Clerk Hart, can you please read the item into the record and then Executive Director Metric will introduce the item. Thank you. This is agenda item 4A, Proclamation and Recognition of Korean American Day, January 13th, 2023. Commissioners, good afternoon. Next month we celebrate celebrate Korean American Day and we are using our last meeting of the year to consider a proclamation honoring that milestone. We are pleased that several of our Korean American port employees are joining us today to read the resolution and to honor the many contributions that Korean Americans have made to this country. Uh, we'll begin with uh, Tanya Park. We'll begin the proclamation reading. Thank you, Executive Director Metric, and good afternoon, President Hawkins and Commissioners. My name is Tanya Park, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the Systems Change Program Manager with our Port's Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Although Korean American Day is officially on January 13th, 2023, I'm glad to have this opportunity to celebrate with you all today. Today's first ever proclamation recognizing Korean American Day is an appreciated acknowledgement of the many contributions and deep impact Korean Americans bring to our everyday spaces in leadership, innovation, policy, business, and to many aspects of American society. Like many immigrant communities in the United States, the Korean American community uh, is known for their resilience and dedicated work ethic. Korean American Day gives us an opportunity to highlight Korean American identities, impact, contributions, and affirm that we also belong to this country. I'd like to highlight just a few notable Korean American individuals and their contributions. Paul Shin was the first Korean American to serve in the Washington legislature in 1992. Currently, Marilyn Strickland represents Washington's 10th Congressional District, and we acknowledge Mukilteo City Council Member Jason Moon and Matawak City Council Member Sun Huang. Reflective of the diverse skills and interests of Korean Americans, some other notable individuals include Sammy Lee, who was the first Amer Asian American to win a U.S. Olympic gold medal in 1948, and half-pipe gold medalist Chloe Cho, or Chloe Kim. ABC News anchor Juju Chang and ESPN anchor Michael Kim. U.S. Army Brigadier General, Deputy Commander of the U.S. Army North, Richard C. Kim. 19th Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force and first female senior enlisted service member of any U.S. military branch, Joanne S. Bass. Of course, there are entertainers like Ken Jeong, John Cho, Sandra Oh, and we can't forget about Korean-American K-pop artists and producers. Alongside all there is to celebrate among Korean Americans, we also recognize Korean Americans are impacted by anti-Asian sentiments, hatred, and violence. As a country, we continue to fight against injustice, and these do not negate our place in this country. But rather, they remind us that we also need to amplify the contributions of other marginalized communities and stand in solidarity against anti-blackness, racism, and various other forms of oppression. Author Heather McGee reminds us that we are greater than and greater for the sum of us. Korean Americans proudly exist, we contribute, 
we belong, and we are American. With that, we appreciate your leadership, Commissioner Cho, for being an advocate, a representative, and a voice in bringing forward this proclamation. And with that, the proclamation reads as follows. The proclamation of the Port of Seattle Commission. Whereas Korean American representation matters, and whereas on January 13, 1903, 102 courageous Korean American, Korean immigrants arrived in Hawaii as laborers for the sugar plantation, initiating the first large wave of Korean immigration to America. And, whereas the second wave of Korean immigrants consisted of Korean wives of American soldiers known as war brides, war orphans, students, businessmen, and intellectuals came from 1950 to 1964. And whereas the third wave of Korean immigration occurred with the passage of the 1965 Immigration and Naturalization Act, revoking the national quota system and making family reunification possible. And whereas Korean Americans, like other groups of immigrants that came to the United States before them, have settled and thrived in the United States through strong family ties, community support, and hard work. And whereas Korean Americans of all generations and recent immigrants have made significant contributions to the economic vitality of the United States and continue to make great contributions to our nation, our region, and our port. And whereas the contributions of Korean Americans may be observed in all facets of American life, from politics to industry, entrepreneurship to volunteerism, the arts and education, and Whereas Korean Americans have built and strengthened the alliance between the United States and the Republic of Korea, fostering peace on the Korean Peninsula and promoting trade alliances. And whereas Korean Americans have made enormous contributions to the military strength of the United States, United States and served with distinction in the armed forces during World War, World War I, World War II, the Vietnam War, the conflict in Korea, and subsequent military conflicts across the globe. And whereas the centennial year of 2003 marked an important milestone in the history of Korean immigration. And whereas on January 13, 2003, President George W. Bush issued the Centennial of Korean Immigration to the United States Proclamation which commemorated the centennial anniversary of Korean immigration to the United States and recognized the invaluable contributions of Korean Americans to our nation's rich cultural diversity, economic strength, and proud heritage. And whereas the United States House of Representatives passed House Resolution 487 to commemorate Korean American Day in the 109th Congress, and whereas the United States Senate passed Senate Resolution 283 to commemorate Korean American Day in the 109th Congress, and whereas Washington State Legislature unanimously passed Senate Bill 5166 in the 60th Legislature during the 2007 regular session and signed into law by Governor Christine Gregoire, officially designating designating January 13th of each year as Korean American Day and whereas Washington State has the fifth highest concentration of Korean Americans in the United States, the fifth largest Asian American subgroup in the United States, 
and the and United States is home to the largest Korean diaspora community in the world and whereas Washington State is the most trade dependent and trade vulnerable state according to the Washington Council on International Trade 40% of state jobs are connected to trade and Whereas, the Republic of Korea is an important Northwest Seaport Alliance trading partner, ranking fourth by total vessel value and third by total TEUs, and whereas the year 2023 marks the 70th anniversary of the signing of the Mutual Def Defense Treaty between the United States and the Republic of Korea in 1953, which commits the two countries to provide mutual aid if either faces external arm attack, and Whereas the official recognition of Korean American Day is a significant way we can celebrate the invaluable contributions of our Korean American employees and community and work in creating a welcoming environment and a culture of belonging. Now, therefore, the Port of Seattle Commission hereby honors and recognizes Korean American Day, celebrates the contributions of Korean American port employees and community, and affirms the port's commitment to advance racial equity and representation of Korean Americans, proclaimed by the Port of Seattle Commission this 13th day of December 2022. Thank you so much, Erica and Peter and Tanya, for the reading. Executive Director Metric, any further remarks? All right, I'm going to begin by turning it over to Commissioner Cho, the sponsor of the proclamation. You have the floor. Thank you very much. Um, First and foremost, I want to thank our port staff for all the work that they've put in, in in putting this proclamation together, as well as making sure that it got on the calendar. I'm extremely proud to see us well represented here at the port. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing more representation as, as the number of Korean Americans uh, at the port grow. But um, on a higher level, I, I'm, I'm just really glad that we can celebrate this day. Um, and you know, it, it's not just because, you know, I'm Korean and I'm biased maybe a little bit, a lot. Um, but because uh, I'm grateful that we can celebrate days like these in general, uh, not just for Koreans, but for uh, all diaspora communities, whether you are immigrants from Korea or China or wherever in the world. Uh, I think one of the things that we take great pride in as an organization and as a port is celebrating the diversity that we have in this county, uh, the celebrating the diversity in our workforce as well as celebrating uh, the, the global reach that we have as a port, as the, the proclamation uh, stipulates. Um, you know, for those who, who, who know me know that my parents are immigrants from South Korea. And for those who don't know, they immigrated to this country through the port of Seattle uh, in the late 80s. And um, Sorry, um, I'm getting emotional because my father passed away six months ago. <laughs> you know, um, I'm incredibly blessed to be here. Uh, nothing dictated for me to be born in the United States, nothing dictated for my parents to immigrate here. Nothing dictated that, you know, that I should be in this seat serving in this capacity, but I am. And um, I don't take any of that for granted. I sincerely appreciate uh, my community being here today. They've been very supportive when my father passed, and uh, obviously they're here today. 
Um, and it goes without saying that I'm extremely proud to be Korean, and Korean American, to be the son of immigrants. Um, so I look forward to uh, celebrating in January. Thank you. Commissioner Mahan. Commissioner Fallerman. I just can't tell you how glad we are to have Commissioner Cho here on the commission and how much I appreciate uh, learning more from these resolutions to appreciate elevating the attention to all people that have important stories to tell. I would only say that my understanding that the word diaspora was actually first coined from the fleeing of the Jews from the concentration camps. Not a great history for that word, but it's coming on Hanukkah, I couldn't miss it. But anyway, honestly, Sam's our man, and I thank you all for supporting him, and I'll pass it from there. Commissioner Mohammed. Well, um, I just want to say to Commissioner Cho, thank you for bringing this proclamation, and to all of our Korean American staff, thank you so much for your hard work in bringing this proclamation forward today. Um, I didn't realize it was the first proclamation of celebrating Korean American Day. We should do that every year. Um, we uh, appreciate the contributions that our Korean American community um, adds to our region. Um, outside of this uh, commission work that I do, I'm also the director of the Office of Immigrant and Refugee Affairs. And so I have a deep commitment to making sure that our immigrant and refugee communities are served well and that um, we stand alongside you all when um, it's times of celebration, but also times of hardship. Um, and so as commissioners, we are committed to denouncing anti-Asian hate. Um, we are committed to denouncing all types and all forms of hate. And, um, and so I want you all to know that that is a commitment that we have as a commission, is to celebrate with, celebrate with you all and to stand with you all too in times of struggle. And Commissioner Cho, it's hard to follow you right after because you know I'm a crier, I'm a cry right with you. Sorry. <laughs> um, but you know, I uh, serve on every committee with, uh, uh, with Commissioner Cho and his leadership, his commitment to the commission has been phenomenal. I've been learning from you this whole year. Uh, today kind of marks my anniversary, my one year anniversary on the commission. And it's been an honor to serve alongside you. Um, you are someone who's extremely passionate and incredibly smart. And just recently, Commissioner Cho and I both went to the United Nations um, and announced um, COP27. And one of the announcements that Commissioner Cho led on was announcing a partnership with um, the Busan Port Authority. And being able to see him do that, I, I just couldn't imagine how proud your parents and family and community are of you. And we were, I was significantly proud, and I know so many of us on the on, um, port staff as well as commissioners have been very proud of the work that you're doing. And so just know we always have your back. And I'll just wrap up. I'll, I'll take us from the sublime to the mu mundane and just talk about how important Korea is for the Port of Seattle as a business partner, as a trade partner. Uh, Korea is a global superpower when it comes to ports, not only because uh, it is the center of so much shipbuilding, um, but also because two of the major uh, carriers that um, ply all the world's waters are Korean carriers. And uh, on the airport side of things, uh, 
our partnership with the, the national airline is incredibly important and they are renowned worldwide as a top tier airline and so we're grateful to have them as partners as well. Um, we sincerely hope in the coming years as the global economy has shifted to the Pacific in terms of its um, center of operations that our relationship with Korea only continues to strengthen and that the amount of trade that we do both ways. Uh, and so hopefully we can use this to, to, to raise the profile of, of those folks in the United States who want to do more business with folks in, in South Korea. So thank you all for those who have come. Thank you, Commissioner Cho, for sponsoring this proclamation. At this time, hearing no further discussion for this item, is there a motion and a second? Mr. President, I'd like to motion to move the uh, agenda item. Second. second. Uh, the motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, can you please call the roll for the vote? Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Beginning with Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Four ayes and zero nays for this item. And with that, the motion passes. Next on our agenda is the Executive Director's Report. Executive Director Metric, you have the floor. Uh, thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Again, that's a hard act to follow to kick off the meeting. So I appreciate, again, the staff, uh, um, uh, Tanya, Peter, and Erica for the reading of that, and Tanya for that great introduction, too. So thank you all. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. It's hard to believe, but we are already at the last Commission meeting of 2022. As we wrap up our business for the year, I just have a few comments to reflect uh, for the public on our few, the few of the many accomplishments we've had over the last year despite many challenges. I know we're going to have a time where we'll actually be looking at the year in review going forward, but I think it's worthwhile to note some of the things we've accomplished this year. We've opened the International Arrivals Facility at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport and welcomed major new international air service routes to Helsinki, Finland, Papid Tahiti, Nui and uh, Montreal, Montreal, Canada, and Istanbul, Turkey. Um, as we know, domestic flights have returned in force, and I think our, our international flights are returning as well, and that's great that we're continuing to grow. Through the Northwest Seaport Alliance, we've opened Terminal 5, uh, Phase 1, one of the premier international cargo terminals on the West Coast, and one of the few ones to open up during, uh, during the pandemic. We completed the Duwamish River People's Park and Shoreline Habitat a major restoration project and community amenity. We hosted a record-breaking cruise season while simultaneously launching a green cruise corridor first mover commitment to explore the feasibility of decarbonizing our Washington, Alaska, British Columbia cruise itinerary. In addition, through the Northwest Seaport Alliance, we've launched a feasibility study for a green shipping corridor with Busan, South Korea. We've helped make a statewide discussion around supporting, help begin a statewide discussion around supporting responsible outdoor tourism. And we've increased community investments for the environment and workforce development. These are just a few of the highlights, all of which depended upon your, uh, our collaboration with you and our incredible port workforce and our community partners as well. So I thank you all for your leadership this year and these many accomplishments in the work that we've, uh, we've uh, been able to complete together. In particular, I want to thank uh, Commissioner Calkins as he completes his term as president of the commission. Commissioner Calkins has been an effective and visionary leader, and he's been a steady hand that's moved us forward through uh, uh, a lot of uncertainty this year. 
As we look forward to 2023, I'm excited to continue to collaborate with all of you as we work to deliver on our missions and programs, including the largest five-year capital plan in the port's history. Speaking of our capital plan, travelers making their way through Seattle-Tacoma International Airport during the upcoming holiday travel period will be delighted to see two new offerings at our central terminal, which debuted, la debuted uh, last week after several uh, years of renovation. The opening of Salties at SEA and Brewtop Social come with grand views of the airfield through a 60-foot high, 350-foot long window wall, which probably was blocked off before with the construction uh, barriers. We continue to elevate customer experience at SEA with more than 70 new openings in the last four years and many more improvements planned. Thank you to Aviation Managing Director Lance Little and all of the team members who helped us achieve this fantastic milestone. Finally, I want to share a few comments about the current public health situation. We've heard the term triple-demic in the news media lately, which uh, public health experts used to describe the confluence of high, highly viral activity of influenza, respiratory, uh, respiratory, is it just virus, the R, I just referred to as RSV, yeah, and of course COVID-19, and of course COVID-19, which is still with us. Last week, 12 regional health, public health officials throughout Puget Sound joined chief medical officers and healthcare leaders from around the region to implore citizens to don a mask when around others and in indoor spaces to curtail the spread to this, un in, as a response to this unprecedented surge of viral activity that we're facing. Uh, besides donning well-fitting masks, each of us need to immediately implement other important strategies to curb viral activities, including staying up to date on your vaccinations, and if you haven't done so, please get your COVID-19 booster and your flu shot as, uh, as protection. Staying home from work and school if you develop signs or symptoms of illness and test for COVID-19, and have a plan for rapid treatment for COVID-19 and, and influenza, especially if you're at increased risk for severe infection and discuss this plan with your health care provider and your family. By using these multi-layered interventions, we can limit the spread of viruses, stay healthy, and enjoy the holiday season. Moving to today's commission meeting, I'll highlight a few items. Item 8E on our consent agenda is an authorization that provides capacity to reduce or add seating to our, to our baggage claim and ticketing areas that will include power outlets. This capacity is part of our ongoing uh, continuing effort to enhance customer experience and upgrade SEA. And we know those power outlets are something that everybody's looking for these days, and, and this is a great investment. Item 8I on our consent agenda is a transportation consulting contract that will support staff work on key commissioner priorities, including waterfront signage and bike and pedestrian improvements. Other key regional transportation initiatives will also be part of the scope of that work. And lastly, I want to highlight item 11A on our agenda, which is a briefing from staff on our on-demand taxi flat rate program briefing. I will have more to say about this item during its introduction, but I want to emphasize that the proposal here today is based on significant engagement with key stakeholders, as well as valuable lessons learned from our last few years of implementing the pilot program. So commissioners, that concludes my report. Thank you, Executive Director Metric. Uh, we're now at committee reports. Erica Chung, Commission Strategic Advisor, will provide the report. Go ahead, Erica. Great. Uh, good afternoon, uh, President Calkins and Commissioners. I have one committee report for you today. The Audit Committee was convened on Thursday, December 8th um, by Commissioners Cho and Mohammed. 
Public Member Sarah Holmstrom was also in attendance. The committee received a report from Moss Adams regarding his 2022 audit entrance where the scope of service were discussed and included the annual audit and report of financial statement audit for the year ending December 31st, 2022, the audit and report on compliance related to major federal awards program, the schedule of expenditures of federal awards and related internal controls, the audit and report on the schedule of passenger facilities charge program, receipts and expenditures, and related internal controls, and the audit and report on the schedule of net revenues available for revenue bond debt service. The audit is set to be completed and results will be reported to the audit committee in May 2023. The audit committee also received an update on the internal outreach project to help small entities doing business with the port with limited resources to educate and train their staff on internal controls. The committee further received an update on completion of the 2022 audit plan approved the proposed 2023 audit plan covering limited contract compliance, performance and information technology audits with contingency audits identified, time permitting, and received the open issue status report. The meeting continued with the committee receiving detailed audit reports regarding the internal arrivals facility, South Satellite Infrastructure Upgrade Project, South King County Community Impact Fund, and Federal Grant Administration for the Aviation Division. A non-public session was held to discuss security sensitive matters related to the T2 airport garage parking, system replacement, and audit log management for ICT. This concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Are there any follow-up questions from commissioners for Erica? Okay. We are now at the public comment section of our agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by the Commission in its deliberations. Before we take public comment, I want to review our rules for in-person and virtual public comment. Each commenter will have two minutes to speak and should stay within the allotted time. A timer will appear on the screen and a buzzer will sound at the end of the two-minute period for each speaker. You must limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of port business. These rules apply to introductory and concluding remarks as well. All remarks should be addressed to the commission as a body, not to individual commissioners. Disruptions of commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include but are not limited to the following. Refusal of a speaker to limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of port business. Threats and abusive or harassing behavior including but not limited to obscene language and gestures. Refusal of a speaker to comply with the allotted time set for the individual speaker's public comment leaving the podium or testimony table to physically approach commissioners or staff during one's public comment, provided speakers may offer or written materials to the commission clerk, and any behavior that disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the meeting. Written materials provided to the clerk will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually, as well as from anyone who has joined us in the chambers. When the clerk calls your name, if you are joining virtually, please unmute yourself, then repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business. If you're on the Teams meeting and are also streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. If you are speaking from the room, please come to the testimony table, repeat your name, and state your topic related to the conduct of port business. For all speakers, if any topic is not related to the conduct of port business, the speaker will be asked to speak directly to items related to the conduct of the port or otherwise leave the microphone. As a reminder, comment time will be two minutes per speaker. 
Clerkhart, please call our first speaker. Thank you. We will begin in room with Alex Zimmerman. Thank you. So, is table? Yes, please, Alex. And if you could please repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business, Absolutely. please. Absolutely. Thank will you. Doing this now. Give me a little bit second so I can put my ass in good chair. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah, my name is Alex Zimmerman. I'm president of Stand Up America. And your topic, please, sir, related to oh, the Oh, my topic is business. 11, about these taxi drivers, yeah. Thank you. So where is timer? Oh, good. Uh, for my understanding, America is a free enterprise. So how you control these poor babies, what as I see for many years, come to you, beg you, please give us a little bit more money. My question right now, very simple, who decide in America about market? Who? You? You're more dangerous than Nazi or communist. You cannot control private business. Is America free enterprise for 250 years, for my understanding? Yeah, only union, and market can decide how much they supposed to be paid. My question to you very simple. Are you decide how much cost airline ticket? No? Why? Yesterday I'm in QFC and soup, what is cost $1, cost right now five bucks. Are you change this? Is this your business? This is exactly what's happened. I'm so sorry for this baby, you know what this means, who come to you in talking about this. Only union, and market supposed to be decide price. The same business is they supposed to be controlled. Not you, you're more dangerous than Nazi or communist. You know what this means? Because business, what is you doing right now? Very stupid. Is this exactly what has happened now? The heil, my dirty damn Nazi fascist Mr. Zimmerman, psychopath. That, that does not pertain to port business. Okay, That's no problem. That's your first warning. No problem, but you cannot control private business. Is this private business? Is this exactly what is you need for doing this? I'm sick see these people every year. This exactly. Give them free market. Like post to be by definition. You cannot control private business. Is this a small businesses? You know what this means. Never Nazi or communists control small businesses. It's never happened. I know this. Stand up, America. We need to clean this dirty chamber from this bandita. This a cretina what is control us. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Zimmerman. Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, thank you, Mr. Commissioner President. Let me reset my timer here. I did share what sound, but for some reason I didn't hear it, so bear with me. Yes, our next speaker is Catherine Kang. Catherine, if you could repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Okay. Thank you. My name is Catherine Kang, and today I'm speaking in regards to Korean American Day. I'm 100% Korean, and I'm 100% American. Again, hello, my name is Catherine Kang, and I'm a senior at University Prep in Seattle. Born and raised in Seattle, I am thrilled to be a part of making history in the Port of Seattle today and sincerely offer gratitude on behalf of the Korean American community for the Port of Seattle's proclamation of Korean American Day. Even though Korean American Day is a national day, I did not have the opportunity to celebrate this special occasion with the mainstream community members in English. 
While I do speak Korean, Spanish, and French, it's important for students like me to hear from the community that we recognize the sacrifices of our Korean Americans as well as the accomplishments of Korean Americans now. As a future leader in international relations, politics, and law, I promise to contribute and do my part to build and maintain the alliance between the United States and the Republic of Korea, foster peace on the Korean Peninsula, and promote trade alliances as a crucial training partner of Washington State. The Port of Seattle's recognition of the arrival of the first courageous Korean Americans on January 13, 1903 is especially significant for my family. My great-great-uncle was one of the pioneers who got on the boat to Hawaii to work on the sugar plantations in the early 1900s. My grandfather came to Seattle for the World's Fair to share Korean lacquer furniture and brassware. My father arrived with his mother through the SeaTac Airport in 1975 to join his father. The achievements and contributions of Korean Americans can be seen in economic strength, cultural diversity, and in all facets of American life, including politics, industry, entrepreneurship, volunteerism, arts, education, and in various branches of the United States Armed Forces. However, our Korean American history and our narratives are rarely included in the textbooks, and only recently have we began to learn about our history, culture, and language in the community. Today, I'm grateful to witness our elected port commissioners as role models for students like me to recognize the diversity of our community, including Korean Americans in the United States. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. King. Michelle Hart, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Junki Min, please. And Junki, if you could repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Thank you. My name is Jun Ki-min, and my topic is about Korean American Day. 안녕하세요. Hello. My name is Jun Ki-min. Thanks to a partnership between Sogang University and Seattle University, I was able to travel to Seattle from Seoul to earn my bachelor's degree in communication. After graduation, I want to work for a global marketing company to promote trade. As a Korean American, I believe I have the knowledge to build a bridge between the two countries. Korea is one of the main sources of international students to the U.S., coming in third behind India and China. As a global citizen, we travel for work and school. During my search stay, I've already traveled through the SeaTac airport multiple times. I am more grateful for these experiences because I recognize the importance of global connections. While these concepts were highlighted in textbooks, my personal travel experiences made me realize how critical global partnership and exchanges are in personal and professional development. Through trade and business, I hope many of our students experience education in Korea and the, and the United States. The official recognition of Korean American Day is a significant way that we can celebrate the invaluable contributions of our Korean, communi Korean American community and work in creating a culture of belonging and a more equitable and socially just city. I feel welcomed, especially on this special day. When you visit Korea, I'm positive you will also feel welcomed. 감사합니다. Thank you. 감사합니다. Thank you, Mr. Min. Our next speaker is Matthew Durkee. Matthew, if you could please restate your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Thank you. My name is Matthew Durkee in Korean American Day. Wow. So first of all, how do I beat that? That's amazing speeches from our young generation. But first of all, I'd like to say that I'm Korean by birth, 
American by culture, Korean adoptee by situation. I'm also a U.S. Army veteran to shield the storm era. My father was a Korean War veteran himself. And Korean American Day is very special for thee because it gives me the opportunity to extend my experience, what I'm learning about Korean Americans and the collaboration between America and Korea. It's also the fact that I'm learning something about my culture that has been hidden. We use the term diaspora, and Korean adoptees definitely have that diaspora feeling within them too. The other thing too is we think about what is Korean American Day? How does that reflect upon us and the diversity of it? I don't think about diversity as a melting pot for America. I think more as a, as a salad bowl. We are unique in each of our flavors, but we bring that beauty of a combined together. So there's a lot there that I just want to, you know, we could break this down into a lot of things about diversity, but Korean American Day is about for me learning to understand, to grow and develop that relationship as an educator and also as a person who's still learning about who I am as a Korean American. So it wasn't a long speech, but I just want to thank everybody for this time and opportunity. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Durkee, and thank you for your service as well. Next speaker. Yes, we're going to go to our virtual speakers, beginning with Iris Antman. Iris, if you're on the line and on the phone, star six to unmute, please. And if you could repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business. Uh, <clears throat> yes, my name is Iris Antman, <clears throat> and my topic is uh, cruise, the harms of the cruise industry. Thank you, Iris. Good afternoon. Yeah. Good afternoon, Port Commissioners and staff. My name is Iris, and I'm with Seattle Cruise Control, and here to talk about the increasing harms of the cruise industry. As our climate continues to deteriorate with greenhouse gas emissions rising, the goal of increasing cruise tourism denies that reality. The plan to solicit expanded cruise business from Asian and African markets may sound sexy, but using resources in this way is a waste of resources. The port operates with economic expansion as its primary goal. On a small planet with finite resources, which are being depleted and destroyed before our eyes, this goal is no longer responsible. The, pro uh, the port prides itself on environmental sustainability, but the measures it has taken has, have not decreased greenhouse gas emissions, nor had a substantive effect on the harmful practices of the cruise industry. The Green Cruise Corridor is an idea for the future with plans for voluntary participation and goals set for 2050. By then, Seattle's waterfront could be underwater. The Green Cruise Corridor is 50 years too late. The port needs to limit, decrease, and end cruising, a non-essential activity for those with means at the expense of all who are struggling to survive in our community, our country, and around the globe. Turn your attention to developing truly green enterprises here at the port, ones that help develop 21st century communities like building wind turbines. It's time for all of us to wake up and address the climate crisis on our doorsteps, please. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Ammon. 
Uh, I'm going to take a moment just to remind folks, if you have your cell phone with you, please put it on silent. Um, there have been a few chimes during folks' testimony. It would be nice if we uh, could honor that. Thank you. Uh, Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, I'm going to go back to the room and call for Julie Kang. Julie, if you could please restate your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Good afternoon. Julie Kang, Korean American Day. And again, thank you so much for the opportunity to share Korean American Day. And thank you for the proclamation, commissioners. In America, we often celebrate an, a special event with cakes. And today, we want to share Korean American cake, rice cake, with the staff and the commissioners. So we're going to leave a box. And because we're still being careful, everything is individualized. So enjoy. And thank you so much for the celebration. Thank you so much. I, I want to recess right now and eat that. But I, we're gonna we're gonna plow ahead, and keep going. We will look forward to that after the meeting concludes. Thank you so much, Clerk Hart. Next speaker. Yes, and going back to the virtual line with David Goble. David, if you could repeat your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Hi, uh, my name is David Goble. I'm from Vashon Island First Guys. Um, and I'm, uh, th this comment would perhaps be better uh, suited in, t in Thursday's ethics board meeting, but public comments not taken at that meeting. I'm speaking today again on the change in August to the Zoom mode used during the port's bi-monthly start meeting at SeaTac Advisory Roundtable, which is the port's primary nexus for discussion of the airport's environmental impact on surrounding communities. The change was to go from a normal Zoom format to something called webinar panelist mode. In this mode, it appears that only the official start members are present. The presence of the public or app lack thereof is completely invisible. For example, during the April start meeting, when Representative Jayapal was a guest presenter, she said she specifically commented on the dozens of Ashton residents present, and she said, I knew also that we have uh, a number of constituents from Fashion Island uh, with us today, so I just wanted to acknowledge and recognize that and say thank you for, for joining this um, this table. I if she were to present today, she would have at, start, at a start meeting today, she would have no idea if there were any members of the public present. I want to contrast this major step backwards the start meet, meeting took uh, to how this part of commission, commission meeting is being run. You do a really good job. You make the very reasonable request to turn off our cameras when not speaking, but you know we are here. It would be obvious, not invisible, if there were hundreds of members of the public attending the meeting virtually, even if none of them made public comment. And if this isn't good enough for me, I have the option to attend in person for the real thing. There is no in-person option with START. This is all the more cynical as START excludes from membership communities that aren't directly bordering the airport, no matter how impacted they are by the airport. I, the official members who refuse to have an in-person option are all practically walking distance from the airport. START was created but, and is funded and legally organized under the auspices of the Port of Seattle not the FAA. The buck stops with you guys, and what you are doing reflects poorly on you, and I know you're all much, much better than that. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Goble. Next speaker, Clerk Art. Yes, our next speaker also joining virtually is Brian Thompson. Brian, if you could repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. My name is Brian Thompson. I'm speaking as an individual resident of the Seattle metro area. Uh, speaking today in regards to policy HR 34 and executive policy 29. Uh, thank you, honorable members of the committee for your service to our community. 
for the well-being of port employees, contractors, and consultants, and to remove a barrier to WMBE and DBE involvement in port contracts, I ask that you initiate new business in this meeting to end the policies which require COVID-19 vaccination, including Executive Policy 29 and Policy HR 34. Executive Policy 29 is a barrier to WMBE and DBE firms and creates disparity in access to opportunity. This is because larger firms may have sufficient staff who satisfy the terms of Executive Policy 29. This contradicts Port Objective 13, which we'll hear about in Agenda Item 11B today. Last week, we saw the House pass the $858 billion National Defense Authorization Act, which includes a requirement for the Pentagon to end its COVID-19 vaccination requirement. Representative Adam Smith of our 9th Congressional District, in which Seattle-Tacoma International Airport is located, stated on the House floor that it is the right time to end the vaccine requirement. The CDC website now states breakthrough infections will occur even when vaccination rates are high, and people who get vaccine breakthrough infections can spread COVID-19 to other people. Therefore, even 100% vaccination status in a population will not prevent spread of the virus. Accordingly, Policy HR 34 and Executive Policy 29 imposing COVID-19 vaccine mandates with the intent to protect port employees should be rescinded to support the well-being of port employees, contractors, and consultants. Considering, one, the disparity the mandate presents to WMBE and DBE involvement in port contracts, contrary to port goals. Two, recent actions across the country to strike down vaccine mandates, including Representative Smith speaking in support of ending the DOD vaccine mandate. And three, in light of CDC data which contradicts perceived benefits of maintaining the mandates, the Commission should initiate new business in this meeting to rescind policy HR 34 and Executive Policy 29 retroactive to existing contracts. Thank you, Mr. Thompson. Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, thank you. Our next speaker is Joshua Welter. Joshua, if you could please come to the testimony table and state your name for the record and your conduct related to the topic of port business, please. Uh, my name is Joshua Welter. I'm speaking on airport taxi. Uh, President Calkins and members of the commission, um, members of this commission have been staunch supporters of uh, uh, taxi drivers, um, the hardworking immigrant taxi union members you see here uh, today. Three years ago, uh, many of you voted to support drivers having a voice through their union. Um, others came to this commission um, after that vote uh, with a mandate to ensure diverse representation on this body. Um, the commission vote three years ago uh, followed a period of unrest uh, for airport taxi. Protests and work stoppages, 29 union activists that were terminated from their jobs, uh, drivers regularly packing meetings like this. And the commission then stood with drivers. Uh, eliminating excessive costs that drivers had for curbside management fees and, uh, as I said, voting for driver voice. Drivers were optimistic three years ago um, about beginning a new chapter of collaboration with the port. Unfortunately, since that time, the driver voice at work has largely been met with dismissal and uh, even, uh, I'm sorry to say, disdain uh, from port staff. Elected driver leaders meet monthly with staff. Uh, but no matter how creative and collaborative we try to be to address driver issues, most of those meetings end with port staff simply saying no. At the beginning of the pilot program, staff rejected driver suggestions by saying that the driver voice program wasn't about making improvements during the pilot, but about what came after. 
And three years later, now that we're talking about what comes after, staff now have new excuses for why uh, it is not the right time to act on driver priorities. So last month, we were shocked to learn that staff believes that it has the ability, a blank check authority, to make future controversial changes without a vote of the commission. So we're in front of you again today, like we were three years ago, to call for commission action. One, to ensure ongoing public oversight by this body on, uh, with votes on any significant changes to the taxi program. And two, to ensure that we strengthen driver voice with procedures for orderly dispute resolution, the recommendations that were, uh, have been delayed since uh, uh, 2019. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Walter. <laughs> Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Hagby Jamal. Thank you. And then if you could please just repeat your name for the record and your topic, please. Uh, my name is Haive Jamalk. Uh, I'm a taxi driver and I'm here in front of you. Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so we don't want the port employees to have a blank check just to make any decision about taxi uh, like increasing the fees and all that without commission approval. So whatever the port employee are deciding or planning to do like uh, virtual uh, queue, they even don't, they told us they even don't know how it works and they wanna bring it to us or to test on us. So before they do that, they need to come in front of you and you guys say go ahead or say no to it because we really don't understand and they don't understand themselves. We talked to them many times and another thing, a lot of people, if they're going to use that, then a lot of people come from all over the world. And most of them don't have smartphones. Or our military, when they come back from Korea or uh, Japan, they also, sometimes they don't have internet. So uh, if they're going to use the queue system and all that, then it's not going to work for them. So are we going to abandon our soldiers at the moment they need a ride from the airport or what? So, Whatever they need to do, they need to come through the port, and the port says, go ahead. Uh, another thing is uh, there's no easy way out for this. So all, every time we need to come back over here and, and, and thank you for, for making our life easier, for taking the excess fees from the other companies or the dispatch companies, and we appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Jamal. Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Samson Georges. I'm so sorry, Samson. Um, if you want to come to the come to the testimony table and correct my bad pronunciation, I would appreciate it. And if you could state your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Okay. Thank you. My name is Samson. Samson. Hi, Georges. Uh, I'm a taxi driver over 17 years uh, as a for-hire driver. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak in front of the port commissioner, port staff, and my fellow drivers. Thank you for renewing on-demand taxi pilot program. And we got the ability to work at the airport to serve the Gracie community. We are happy to continue our 
discussion with the port on the future change. But we are looking your attention, any future change or decision to be under your oversight. Please don't give a free blank check on our future. We are on demand. We don't like to take away our spotlight. Thank you. I will appreciate having it. Thank you, Mr. Hiley Georges. Uh, Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Worku Balagneb. Worku, if you could please repeat your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. My name is Worku Balaina. Uh, I've been driving for IR the last 12 years and more. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me this chance to speak today. Also, I'm a member of Team Mister 117. Today, I'd like to speak uh, two things, my two minutes. I'll do my best to finish on time. So the first thing I'd like to, uh, to remember you, uh, back in three years ago, uh, we 29 people, their job was on the line to terminate, but we fight with the team minister uh, and save our job. So uh, also I would like to, uh, uh, to let you know, uh, since this pilot program starts, uh, with the community leaders, I am one of them, to have a discussion with the port staff, uh, how we operate the job and, and uh, what's going to be in the future, which is, is coming up new program. Uh, we recommend a lot of things, but they rejected a lot of things. For example, uh, we recommend minimum fare for short fare, which is a port not losing nothing. Just we asking simple things, but they don't want to take it. Uh, so even you have a power to pass minimum fare, but now we have to go to the King County to pass the minimum fare, short fare. Uh, also, I'd like to, the public know, uh, even you dear commissioners need to know, when the COVID hits, uh, we are forgotten by the system. So the Team Star 117 has to go Washington to, to help us to survive the COVID time. So we appreciate for that, Mr. 117. So I'll, at the last, I'd like to say you, dear commissioner, we vote for you to vote anything outcome for our future job. So please don't pass to that power to the port staff. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Mr. Balina. Uh, commissioner, Commissioner Clerk Hart, next speaker. <laughs> Our next speaker is Hassan Orsami. And Hassan, if you could please repeat your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of the port, please. Sure. Thank you. My name is Hassan Orsami. And also, I'm, I'm the cab driver walking the airport. Again, my name is Hassan Warsami. Okay, thank you. My name is Hassan Warsami, and I've been driving taxi more than 23 years. And last 10 years, I was walking the airport. 
So we wanted to give, give, give you an example about why drivers are calling on you to strengthen our union rights. In the summertime, in the Corusian season, it was a lot of people coming, and sometimes it was the airport was busy, and sometimes you see the when we line up four or five taxi um, loading at the same times, and it was one of the, those times. So um, three people come to me in my uh, car. They have a lot of luggage and go in the cruise ship. The car behind me was the wheelchair van. But when they came, they requested to go the, the car behind me. And I say, OK. But that car, the coordinator, he sent it to right away his signal to send another place. But I informed them they still have another van available. Coordinator, he was walking, he was a little bit far from me. So he was, uh, he was, he was assuming I was refusing the fare because maybe it was short, short trip. And, and then I just come to him and I told him they need a van. And he was good mad and he just told me to leave the airport empty. The customer I was requesting the van, they know I didn't refuse it. They, they get mad, why this guy, he doing this one? And, and, I, and I told them, no, don't worry, um, I have a place to go. And the van, they, they call the van, but also I asked them if I can take a statement from them. And they give a statement, I didn't refuse. Sorry, my time is, yeah, sorry about that. Thank you, Mr. Warsami. Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Katie Jaro. Garo? Garo. Garo. Thank you. Katie, if you can repeat your name properly for happy the record to. and your topic related to the conduct of the port, please. Sure, happy to. Katie Garrow, I'm the Executive Secretary Treasurer for MLK Labor. We're the umbrella group for unions here in King County, here to talk about the for hire driver workforce that's behind me. Um, you know, federal labor law excludes this workforce from the same labor protections that most workers in this country enjoy. And back in 2019, the Port of Seattle was at the forefront of giving this workforce the same rights that many American workers already enjoy. And that was a really good thing. Unfortunately, we've heard that so much of the progress that we made back in 2019 has been stalled in the most recent negotiations. Um, and we're concerned about that. Since the port made uh, you know, historic moves in giving workers, drivers, a voice, um, the, the city of Seattle and the state of Washington has jumped ahead. We were very active in the fair share campaign at the city of Seattle to give for hire drivers rights. And, um, and it was so successful that the state of Washington then adopted a similar model of dispute resolution for these drivers. So I'm really just here to lift up their concerns and let you know that the entire labor movement has invested a tremendous amount of resources in um, allowing these, these hardworking, mostly men, mostly immigrant men, the ability to make a living and uh, to enjoy the same rights that 
many, many workers in this country already enjoy. It's a historical wrong. It's not your fault, but it is our responsibility to do better. So um, thank you. And uh, we'll be watching and hope that uh, we can make some positive progress on this for higher policy. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Garrow. Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, our next speaker is Patrick McKee. No, he's here. Mm-hmm. Yep, thank you, though. And Patrick, if you could please restate your name for the record and uh, yeah. your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Yeah, hi, my name's Patrick McKee, and I'm going to talk about crews again. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners and staff. Pleased to learn the Port of Seattle was represented at COP27 last month. Surprised, though, to see a tweet from Egypt that the port already has a green cruise corridor in the North Pacific. Feels a little premature. Not only does no such thing exist, there's not even agreement with our purported cruise line partners on what such a thing is intended to be. Only that it's a can we're kicking way down the road to 2050. Now, first of all, the port's website notwithstanding, cruise lines are not our partners. They're basically tenants, right? Uh, we're engaged with them in a series of business transactions, all non-essential, meaningful only for the 5,000 jobs and $900 million we're told they generate. Because we don't need partners who pay workers as little as $2 an hour, who dump billions of gallons of sewage in the neighboring waters, who are recognized around the world as climate heating polluters and corporate criminals. Cruise companies have shown they're going to do whatever they're allowed to get away with. Ideally, this is where you all step in because the port's actual partners are the citizens of King County and Washington. Our families live and work here. We elect commissioners based on our estimation of their ability to serve our common interests. So I want to urge the port to start representing these actual partners. What can we do in 2023, right now, to begin curbing the deadly impacts of this non-essential industry while preserving those 5,000 jobs? Well, we could stop digging the hole deeper for a start address the so-called insatiable appetite for crews by capping Seattle sailings at 2019 levels, impose cruise ship speed limits to increase fuel efficiency, demand an expansion of sewage no discharge zones, restore onboard monitors, initiate a clear-eyed public acknowledgement and assessment of the real effects and inequities of crews at home and in the global south, and then we can get to work envisioning alternatives to crews and developing policies to encourage those. Commissioners, there's a lot to do. You know the stakes and the urgency of action. Your partners are depending on you. Thank you. Happy holidays. Let's get started in 2023. Thank you, Mr. McKee. Clerk Hart, next speaker. Yes, our last speaker signed up today is Jordan Van Vost. Welcome, Jordan. If you can restate your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. My name is Jordan Van Vos. Um, I'm here to speak about cruise, but I also just want to congratulate the port on the passage of the Korean American Proclamation. Also, I, our group stands in solidarity with all unions. Um, you know, it's really important that we stand up for hatred because um, without having a, a basis of, of goodwill among all people in the world, we can't get any work done. And um, you know, our group is really about reducing suffering in the world, um, especially uh, thinking of future generations. Um, as a member of uh, Seattle Cruise Control, um, I'm really concerned about the, uh, the fossil fuel dependent cruise uh, 
um, industries, harmful impacts to the air, water, marine environments, the worker exploitation, and the accelerating climate emergency. And we urge you to begin phasing out these partnerships uh, because they're not sustainable. Um, the economic benefits from cruise uh, aren't worth the many harms that they create. Cru cruising is a non-essential human activity. The Green Corridor is not a satisfactory response to greenhouse gas emissions, and it does not ameliorate the multiple other harms of cruise. COP27 makes clear that the Paris target of 1.5 degrees may no longer be achievable, but still we must act. Every fraction of a degree that we limit global warming means a huge reduction in global suffering. Most voters in King County don't really understand the, the Port Commission that much, despite the uh, Commission's great power over policy. Last month, 70% of King County voters approved Charter Amendment 1, shifting several county elections to even years when voter turnout almost doubles on odd elections years. When port elections are held, voter turnout averages around 47%. So if you want to uphold the public good, it's, you know, we have to do something to get more voters involved. Please visit our website at seattlecruisecontrol.org and, and ask you to think about these issues we've raised. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Van Vost. And a quick note to just say thank you to everybody who came to present today, whether you spoke or were here just to be present with us. Uh, public comment is a very important part about how we make our decisions as a commission. And so your, your presence and your comments here are deeply appreciated. Uh, in the interest, uh, as we mentioned in the agenda setting, we are going to move to one of our staff reports in order to in ensure that the folks who are here in the audience are able to hear the presentation as well. Uh, at this time, Clerk Hart, uh, can you please read the item into the record? This is item 11, and then Executive Director Metric will introduce the item. Mr. Commission President, can you just clarify for me, did you call for any other speakers from oh, the I'm sorry, I did not. Okay. I apologize. Is there anyone else in the room who would like to speak for public comment? Or anyone online? Okay, thank you, Clerk Hart, for reminding me on that. And All right, we will, we will move ahead to, to presentations now. Can we read the item into the record, Clerk Hart? Yes, thank you. And before I do that, I'll just note that we did receive three written comments today. For um, summary, everybody um, actually submitted supplemental written testimony. All of the speakers were present today, and their written testimony has been distributed prior to this meeting and will be part of the public record here today. Thank you, Clerk Hart. You're welcome. And this is agenda item 11A, the on-demand taxi flat rate program briefing. There we go, uh, commissioners. Uh, commissioners, ground transportation is one of the key services that airport travelers require. And port staff have been working hard over the last several years to undertake a pilot program designed with significant input from drivers and operators at Seattle Tacoma International Airport. That ba this, this pilot program balances passenger need with ensuring sustainable living wage jobs for drivers. As the current pilot program ends, staff is here today to brief commissioners on the proposed path forward. I want to note that the plan you'll hear today carries forward many of the elements drawn from the three-year pilot program. It reflects extensive outreach to the drivers and additional engagement with the voluntary organization first established in the pilot program. Look forward to today's discussion and uh, next steps. And so I'm going to kick it off with uh, 
Lance Little, Managing Director for Aviation Director's Office. And then also with us is Jeff Wolf, Senior Manager, Aviation Business Development, and Charlotte Skaggs, uh, Contractor with External Relations. So with that, uh, Lance, I see you there. Yeah. Um, thank you, Steve. Um, good afternoon, Commissioners and members of the public. Um, commissioners um, have been an efficient ground transportation option. Uh, it's critical to our vision to become, um, to achieve that coveted five-star um, designation that we're trying to achieve. For our airport, ground transportation options are a key customer service amenity. It is also a critical factor in managing traffic on our drives and in our long-term strategy to decarbonize airport operation. They're also a part of our economic development mission. So these options um, have, been, have changed much by technology and passenger habits in the last decade, and then even more so recently by the pandemic. Because of the dynamic nature of ground transportation and the impacts on all of our priorities, we invest a lot of time and energy in trying to get it right. Um, Commissioners, I want to thank you for your partnership and your feedback in assisting us in trying to get this right. Now, let me touch on a few points in the new program and the challenges that we face. So, candidly, there is no simple solution or clear preference for one type of program. It takes collaboration and an understanding that not all parties will agree on a single direction or a single solution. We have worked with you, your predecessors, the drivers, operators, and many others to develop both the pilot program and the direction of this new program. Not every issue is resolved, even as we have worked hard to balance the needs and the guiding principles on the on-demand service at SCA. The team will go into the details in a few minutes, but I first want to express my appreciation to the hard work of the team, including our consultants and of course the drivers and operators, some of who are here um, today who have participated in the pilot program and provided feedback um, to us over the three years of the pilot. And I also like to express my appreciation to the voluntary organization, which was a new role created for the pilot and which, have con and which will continue in the new program. The new program, as Steve said, it closely follows elements of the pilot program. Credit to the staff and consultant and team's work, uh, great work uh, to develop this, these elements, which are developed through extensive outreach with drivers and operators. As I noted, this is a dynamic industry and the three-year program will uh, give us flexibility as the market changes or regulation changes. And while the program is underway, we will continue to look at new technologies and operational efficiencies that can improve the on-demand system at, uh, for both travelers and operators, including lowering costs over time. With that said, I'll turn over to Jeff Wolf, who will walk us through the briefing. Jeff? Great. Thank you, Lance. I appreciate those comments and also want to say thank you to you for your support in this process as well. Uh, good afternoon, Commission President Calkins, Commissioners, Executive Director Metric. Uh, my name is Jeff Wolf, Senior Manager of Aviation Business Development within our commercial management team at the airport. Uh, my team is uh, responsible for oversight of the ground transportation arrangements and agreements we have in place, including the on-demand taxi system. Uh, we work very closely with our airport operations uh, department who oversees the actual on-the-ground uh, operation of the system. Uh, today, we're going to be briefing you on the on-demand system. So, uh, first of all, I wanted to, to make a quick note that for the purposes of this briefing, I'm going to refer to it as either taxi or on-demand, just for simplicity of, of explaining the system. 
Um, and before I begin, I'd like to also thank uh, the drivers that are here today, the operators. Uh, the input and uh, participation that we've had in this process has been phenomenal. I uh, also want to thank uh, Joshua Welter with uh, Teamsters 117, the voluntary organization, uh, for their participation as well. Uh, also, I'd like to introduce uh, my colleague sitting next to me, Charlotte Skaggs, uh, along with her colleague, who I also believe is in the audience here, Taylor Hodges. Thank you, Taylor. Uh, they were both uh, part of the Mall Foster and Alonghi team, which I think Charlotte has moved on to a, a new position now. But uh, they have been instrumental in terms of the outreach process that we've had. So just want to thank Charlotte and Taylor. Uh, but also, we're going to hand it over and hear from Charlotte uh, when we get to that point in the presentation. So thank you for joining us, Charlotte. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead and jump into the uh, briefing. So next slide, please. Okay, so here is a, an agenda for today's uh, briefing. What we'll do is we'll talk through a, a, a quick history of the on-demand services at the airport, including some uh, rather important changes that have occurred over the past five to 10 years that Lance alluded to. Uh, we'll then get into the pilot program, uh, which we are currently in today. Uh, and part of that pilot program includes the stakeholder outreach. Uh, so we'll hear about that effort. Uh, and then we'll lead into the post-pilot program recommendation and then finish up today's uh, briefing with next steps. Uh, so next slide, please. So starting with a, a brief history, uh, this matrix shows you uh, the uh, agreements that we've had in place dating back to 1989 for uh, on-demand services at the airport. Why 1989? Why is that date on there? So uh, up until that point, we had what would, might be classified as an open taxi system at the airport. In essence, any operator that was licensed, properly licensed within King County could uh, provide access to the airport. As the airport was growing, uh, we needed some more oversight, some additional oversight and regulation of the system. So we approached uh, the owners and asked them to affiliate and associate, and they formed Seattle-Tacoma International Taxi Association, or STEDA for short. Uh, we entered into an agreement with STEDA in 1989. That lasted for a couple decades uh, through 2009. Uh, why that date? So you may recall in the 2008-2009 timeframe, there was a state audit that occurred. Uh, the state auditor identified various agreements across the Port of Seattle, including the on-demand contract that could potentially be put out for a competitive bid. So we did that. Uh, we put it out for bid in 2009. Through that process, selected Puget Sound Dispatch uh, or Yellow Cab, which is the second company listed there. Uh, on the right-hand side of the screen, you can see uh, various stats associated with each agreement in, ter in terms of vehicle count or the fleet size as well as trips per year. Uh, and one interesting note here is with the, the yellow cab contract, we did reach our peak in terms of on, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, pickup trips uh, in 2015 of just shy of a million trips per year. Um, with major changes that now occurred, we'll get into that in just a moment with the next slide, you'll see a, a steady decline in those trips, those on-demand trips. Uh, so we then put the contract out for bid again in the 2010 timeframe, selected Eastside for hire. Uh, that contract uh, began, excuse me, in the 2015 timeframe. We selected Eastside for hire in 2016. Uh, again, you see some stats associated with that contract. 
Um, but also of note, you can see on the, the far right the, the decline of just about three quarters of a million trips uh, in 2017. Uh, and then finally, at least listed on this with the history is the transition to the pilot program. And there are, we'll go into some detail of what the pilot program included uh, or includes today and the reasons why we transitioned into the pilot. Uh, so uh, next slide, please. Uh, so we mentioned some changes in the industry. So what this slide does is, is tries to highlight some of those and then what, what actions we, the, the Port of Seattle, took in response. Uh, the first one we're all probably very familiar with. If you don't already have a smartphone, at least you're, you're probably aware of the, the innovative technology that came, came with smartphones, including the development of rideshare applications. So this is the likes of Uber, Lyft, Wings, and other companies. Uh, this proved to be a significant, I'll call it, disruptor uh, to the on-demand industry. Uh, we, the customers that traditionally had been what we call on-demand or just walk out to, to get a taxi now had another option and have another option in terms of procuring their ride via their smartphone. Uh, so this proved to be uh, quite a, a game changer in terms of uh, the decline in trips as we saw in the trip counts in the previous slide. Uh, as well as the proliferation of, of TNCs, as they're called, transportation network companies. Uh, the second item that's listed here is uh, I've got King County and City of Seattle regulations. We actually live in a, a, a unique uh, portion of the country for, for many reasons, but uh, one being the difference between uh, the formal difference between a taxi cab and a flat rate for hire, which are defined differently in the, in the county and the city codes. Uh, a taxi cab is a single color vehicle with a meter that's in the vehicle that determines the passenger's fare. A flat rate, rate for hire is, is two or more colors uh, and does not have a meter in the vehicle. The, the, the fare is set as a, a predefined uh, rate with the customer and they accept that rate upon getting in the vehicle. So why do, why do we have this up here? Well, it's, it's proven to be uh, a challenge in terms of the, the differences between the two types, most notably on the, the fares. So in fact, there can be customers that may go to a similar destination that are charged different amounts if you take a taxi cab or you take a flat rate for hire. So this certainly has posed challenges just industry-wide, but also for the airport for us in developing a program that accommodates both. Uh, so what, what have we done in terms of in response to this? As I noted, there has been a, uh, a trend away from uh, a single concession agreement to a new style of agreement through the pilot program, which we'll talk about in, in more detail. But I wanted to make sure to highlight some steps that we took in between. So at the end of our Eastside for Hire agreement in 2017 and 2018, uh, the commission actually approved relief efforts um, because of what we were seeing in terms of the decline in the business. Uh, so the first was in 2017 and, and the commission approved of then, so at the time, the, what we call the per trip fee or the fee that the driver pays uh, to the Port of Seattle was set to actually increase from $7 to $7.50, but the commission approved a reduction in that to $6. Uh, the commission also approved um, a relaxing of uh, vehicle uh, environmental standards. So there was a request by drivers to allow for Prius V vehicles, which are actually just below our 45 miles per gallon standard that we have. So that was approved as well. Uh, and then 2018 was a second round of relief uh, because of the changes that were occurring in the industry. And this was the, um, the port taking on the adoption or adopting the, or taking on, excuse me, the 
uh, what we call curbside management duties. And these are really the, the, it's really the bones of the operation. It's the individuals that oversee the operation on the curb uh, and at our, our staging lot. So in 2018, the, Port the commission approved that uh, we would take on oversight of the agreement as well as pay for the costs of that agreement. Uh, next slide, please. So that leads us into where we are today in terms of a pilot, the pilot program. Um, because of the changes that were occurring and then the relief that was granted, um, we collectively realized that we needed to move in a new direction. So um, on the left-hand side of the screen, you'll see a slide that was part of uh, a, a, an effort that was underway at the time, continues to, to be underway at the airport. It's called the Ground Transportation Access Plan, or GTAP. And why do I have this up here? The, the reason this is up here is because on the left of that, you can see what was uh, established through uh, the Commission-approved Resolution 3759 of the Guiding Principles. So those are reduced environmental impact and roadway congestion, supporting customer choice, um, supporting uh, equity issues, as well as generation of revenue for a sustainable airport. So with adoption of that resolution, that those uh, guiding principles have been the foundation for what led us into evaluating a pilot program, as well as the, the foundation for where we're going next. So it's important to understand those, those guiding principles. On the right-hand side of the screen, you see then the, the, the motion that was adopted by a commission in 2019 that's uh, established the pilot program. And we'll quickly walk through the bullet points to make sure uh, understand what those components are. So again, one of the major shifts at the time was a transition away from a single concession agreement to now direct operating agreements with owner operators. So transition from one agreement to now approximately 400, 409 agreements that are in place. And with that, it was also direct payment of, of the pickup fee that we have in place. So instead of a payment to a, a dispatch company and then them remitting that to the port, now it's a direct payment upon passenger pickup. Uh, one of the defining features of the, the pilot is, is open dispatch company affiliation. So in previous contracts, uh, drivers had to be affiliated with that company that we, that we had a contract with, whether that was Steeda, Yellow, or Eastside for Hire. But with the pilot program, they can freely affiliate, which they do. If you uh, go and observe the operation now on the third floor of the parking garage or at our 160th lot, you'll see an array of companies represented. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, uh, we took over the management and, and payment for curbside management services as part of the pilot. And then another defining feature of the, the program was the recognition of a voluntary organization. So what we said was if there was an organization that can demonstrate 60% plus support from the driver community, we would formally recognize them through an agreement that would allow for feedback mechanisms. Teamsters 117 was able to, to provide that support, show that support. Uh, so we entered into an MOU with them that, again, established a monthly meeting cadence that we have, as well as other feedback opportunities. Uh, and then finally, as part of the pilot, is a quarterly stakeholder outreach process, uh, which we have held every quarter as part of the pilot, actually before uh, the pilot program. And I'm going to turn it over to, to Charlotte now, who will walk you through uh, more details and information about that outreach effort. So, Charlotte, it's all yours. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, President Calkins, members of the commission, for the record, I'm Charlotte Skaggs, and I've had the privilege and opportunity to work directly with the drivers that are here and many others since late 2018. So next slide, please. 
So um, uh, as Jeff uh, referenced, and as I just said, we began meeting with drivers. I did um, in late 2018 prior to the adoption and implementation of the pilot program. So those first meetings were really designed to hear from drivers what they wanted to see in a pilot program, kind of hash out a little bit how things would work, uh, what are things like on the ground, how might we be able to meet these needs. Um, after the pilot program was adopted by um, the commission, then we turned to how's it working, kind of what are the nuts and bolts. And there are two components to the work that I've been doing on behalf of the port. The first is we meet quarterly with um, the drivers. Uh, we've done, we prefer to do those in person during the pandemic. We obviously weren't able to, so we met via Zoom. Most recently, we've been meeting in person at the 160th lot, which I think, I think everyone agrees is sort of the best place. It's more convenient for the drivers, and we're able to, to do a little more one-to-one -one outreach. I want to note one error in this slide um, before you. Uh, we've actually had 15 outreach sessions and 10 in person. We prepared this slide prior to this snowstorm that happened right at the beginning of December, and so. We'll be holding those next meetings uh, in early January. So just want to be sure I correct those numbers. So one of the, the goals of this is to hear directly from the drivers, all of the drivers, um, both those represented by the voluntary organization and those who are not. We also meet monthly, as Jeff referenced, with the voluntary organization to hear specifically if there are operational concerns, uh, things that they believe the port really needs to take action on. We've had conversations ranging from frustrations with drivers about um, the curbside manager all the way to, um, you know, how uh, the staging area is going, um, needing to understand when there's construction happening in the garage, what that means operationally. It's really spanned the gamut. So I want to just say that I really have enjoyed and continue to enjoy meeting and working with the drivers. Uh, you've met many of them. You've heard them today. They are an engaged and insightful uh, group who are very good at what they do. They're, they're skilled professionals. And because of that, they bring a perspective that, you know, certainly I wouldn't have as someone who isn't an operator. And I will say it's a large group, 409 people, which means not everybody agrees on how to handle certain contentious issues. There are issues in the taxi industry, such as short trips, which are shared across the country wherever taxis uh, uh, operate at an airport in particular. We understand that that's been a frustration. That's a frustration I know I've heard about since my very first meeting in 2018, and it goes back forever from what I've heard from drivers. So want to note that there are some issues where we didn't really have consensus on what drivers thought was the right path forward. Some said minimum fare, some supported uh, passing along the surcharge to their passengers. But through it all, we've had really helpful um, conversations and been able to understand, I think, and even when we disagree, continue to hear how best to serve passengers at SeaTac Airport. Um, you can see in front of you, several of sort of what I would call the themes that we've heard from drivers over the last few years. Um, of course, as I mentioned, concern over short trips and the surcharge, that's 
as I said, one that um, seems to be endemic to the taxi, taxi industry. We have heard from drivers who are interested in implementing a minimum fare. We also heard consistently that operators really appreciate the opportunity to affiliate with their own dispatch company. So that is a component that will be in the program that Jeff is going to describe to you. Uh, desire to maintain the existing fleet size, allow the ability to transfer their agreement to others. That's one that's been a little challenging during the pilot program. We're happy to, to offer something to move forward on that. They asked that the port continue to oversee curbside management. They wanted to continue the trip fee payment directly to the port and the what we call the pay-as-you-go system. Concerns about the fare difference between metered cabs and flat rate, as Jeff described. Uh, request to just continue the work and coordination that's happening with the voluntary organization. And then concerns related to the implementation of a virtual queue. So I want to just take one moment on the issue of virtual queue. One of the things that when we first began talking about this with drivers and there was clear concern about what that would look like and how it would operate, one of the things that I asked of the drivers is, could we say in the future, and I think we're planning for Q1 or Q2 of 2023, to just really have a more focused discussion around what are their concerns, how might it work? We, we understand from King County that this is really the direction of on-demand transportation. And so understand there are concerns. And as, as some of the speakers said, they, they understand uh, what is problematic far more than I do. So I just wanted to say that, that we would like to meet with them. And that's been our plan to move forward and have a more direct conversation about that. Um, I think I'll just end by saying Taylor and I, again, have really appreciated the opportunity to continue this work with the port and grateful to be here today. And Jeff, I'll hand it back to you. Great. Thank you, Charlene. Thank you, Taylor. I uh, appreciate those comments. Um, before moving on from this side, uh, commissioners, I'd like to also uh, highlight that in addition to the stakeholder outreach, we also did uh, or we hired a third-party consultant this year to look at industry best practices to supplement the work that we did with the outreach. And I just want to note one major observation of many that came out, but uh, one that was very important is with the ongoing, you know, competitive forces in, you know, in the on-demand industry, especially as we talked about even here today with TNCs and others, there's really this, this uh, two-pronged issue going on. One is the opportunity for revenue producing trips has been declining. And we see that through the numbers even at the airport. On the flip side, the costs of operating a, a taxi have, have gone up. So you can, you can think of just the, the vehicle cost itself, insurance, gas, other inflationary effects. You have revenue opportunities going down, costs going up. It's becoming increasingly challenging in this industry. The observation from the consultant is that there is a trend nationwide as well as at airports, and we've seen it as well as a, a move away from contracts that are revenue producing, like we've had in the past with our single concession agreements, to those where the airport is supporting the operation to a higher degree. So that was a very interesting observation that came out of that report. So I wanted to make sure to share that as well. Uh, so next slide, please. So that moves us into uh, where we're at today. So we are here today to recommend uh, and talk about a post-pilot program. Um, we have already listed out some of these elements you've heard from Lance and, and others. Um, it, this chart is broken into three main program areas, uh, the first being the permitting and the composition of fleet. 
Um, so what we're proposing is a, a three-year direct relationship with the current medallion owners that are in the fleet now. Um, again, this would be free affiliation with the company and dispatcher of their choice. So which, whichever company they choose to, to affiliate with, they can, just like it is today. And then we have a, a no transferability uh, clause in the agreement. What we don't want to do is create a secondary market for these agreements once we establish them. Um, that's similar to the way it is today. Uh, many of these elements are continuation of, of where we're at today. There's a couple of changes that I'll, I'll touch on, or, or ideas or thoughts of potential changes. Uh, the second program area is the fees and the cost to operate in slash technology. So what we're proposing is that for year one on the, the pickup fee that's, that's imposed, that we continue with the $6 fee, but then we reevaluate that for years two and three. Um, this continues to be a direct payment uh, to, to the Port of Seattle from the driver through the pay-as-you-go app that Charla mentioned. Uh, and then one area that you might consider is new, is, as, as Charla touched on, is the virtual queue. And really, this is just an exploration of are there opportunities with a virtual queue to help drivers both with revenue-producing opportunities as well as reduce costs. If we're able to get a driver that doesn't have to wait in a physical lot but instead can put their spot in line, you might say, in a virtual queue and then have the opportunity for revenue-producing opportunities elsewhere, we think that might be a good idea, something to explore. Um, there are many airports that have already implemented virtual queue, in including San Francisco, Philadelphia, Minneapolis, San Diego, Salt Lake. So it is a trend in the industry. We just want to make sure that we're exploring that. Uh, and then we will continue to, to contract, directly contract with and pay for curbside management services as well. Uh, and then the final program area that we list here is, a, is, is the driver voice uh, component that we've talked about in a continuation, really, of, of where we've been with our quarterly outreach meetings as well as our monthly meetings with the voluntary organization. The final one is one area that we do want to explore as well, which is uh, the potential for a development of a job training program. So we will turn to our own internal workforce development uh, department to see if there are opportunities there for, for drivers. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, so that takes us into uh, next steps. Um, so obviously today we're here with our briefing. What we plan to do is uh, continue outreach uh, through the end of the year and into early uh, Q1 with education, of course, with our, our operator community uh, as we transition to the new program. Uh, in addition, if there's public outreach that's needed, we will do that. Um, and then any operational and contractual changes, we will need to implement new contracts uh, with the agreement. So get that in place and then a targeted implementation of uh, hopefully no later than the, the end of the first quarter of next year. Uh, next slide. Um, so that brings us to the end of the briefing, but before I conclude, I just want to again uh, extend my, my thanks, my gratitude to, to various st stakeholders. We've acknowledged the owners and operators, especially those that are here today, the voluntary organization. There have been multiple Port of Seattle departments that have been involved with this, so I want to thank the, them as well, as well as the Commission for all of your input and feedback. And then, of course, our consultants with Mall Foster. Uh, InterVistas was our third-party uh, best practices consultant that we used. Uh, and then, of course, our partners with King County and City of Seattle who are instrumental with uh, how we move forward with on-demand services. So uh, that concludes the, the briefing for today, and be happy to address uh, questions and comments. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Lance. Thank you, Sharla. Thank you, Taylor. Um, at this time, I'm going to turn it over to commissioners for questions. Any commissioner questions or comments? Commissioner Mohammed. First of all, I just want to say thank you both for uh, the presentation and your hard work. Um, 
working through the pilot program and uh, the, uh, the research that you've done um, and for briefing us as, as commissioners. Um, and I, I just want to also thank all of the drivers who are here for being here and for um, sharing your comments today. Um, I will just start by, by sharing that both Commissioner Cho and I serve on the Aviation Committee, and I've been on that committee since the start of my term as a commissioner, and um, we have been briefed on the taxi issue uh, regularly. I think almost at every Aviation Committee meeting we have been briefed on um, a number of the issues that um, uh, number of the issues that come up during the uh, pilot program and the changes. Also, both Commissioner Cho and I have made it a point to work hard to be as accessible as possible to both Teamsters and the drivers. Um, there are 400 plus drivers, so we haven't met with everyone, of course. But I, I you know, we've we've met with sectors and, and groups, uh, um, small groups, to to hear directly from from you all about your concerns. Um, and I just I just want to acknowledge the fact that the process has not been perfect. Um, this is a very complex issue. It was complex before I got here, and it will probably continue to be that. And um, recognizing that it's a pilot program, there's changes and there's contracts that are involved. And so um, it is really important for us to work together to come up with good solutions. And um, that means elevating the driver voices and making sure that we are um, directly hearing from you all. That has been a top priority for all of us. I, I, can, I think I can speak for my colleagues who are here today. Um, but I, I also want to say that it's, it's important for us to figure out what some of those challenges are and to do it publicly. And so um, I, I appreciate you guys calling for um, this issue to be brought in public meeting and not just through the Aviation Committee, but that uh, the larger community also hears about um, what we are working through. Um, so with that, with that being said, I do have a couple of questions, and I know my colleagues will take on uh, different issues, but really the, the thing that I really want to hone in on is the dispute resolution process, um, how complaints come about, and ways that um, we are working to resolve that. Um, and so I have, I have a couple, couple of questions regarding uh, ABM. Um, I heard even today and, and before, one of the biggest frustrations is with the curbside management, and that is something I have heard directly from the driver community. And so one of the things that I wanted to know is do we have data or some numbers on the amount of um, violation citations that we've received from drivers? So uh, we checked with our, our operations staff earlier this morning, and um, I see Peter Lindsay uh, has joined us as well, so I'll, I'll just speak briefly and then turn it over to Peter. But um, it's my understanding that throughout 2022, we've had 11 total citations that we've issued. Half of those, or just the, uh, over half, have been warnings. So six of those have just been warnings. The rest of those have been citations that have gone through in um, the dispute resolution process. Um, so that's you know uh, four or five that have, have gone through uh, dispute resolution. Um, but maybe I'll, I'll turn it over to Peter and his team as they oversee the actual operation. Probably has more insight into that. Peter, thank you, Jeff. And just for the record, uh, Peter, good, good afternoon, uh, President Calkins and the commissioners. Peter Lindsay, I'm the senior manager for landside operations at SEA. Um, 
as it applies to, to taxi and flat rate uh, operations, I think it's important to provide some background on disputes. And there's kind of two areas where we find disputes. One with the uh, ABM curbside management, which uh, um, Commissioner Mohammed is referring to, and then citations from the GT controller team relating to permit violations. Uh, that's handled directly by landside operations. And that's the 11 citations that Jeff uh, had just quoted was related to those um, those landside GT violations. As it applies, to, as you all know, to the uh, ABM contract, uh, third-party provider for our curbside services, these are the disputes that often are kind of swift decisions related to the curbside operation. We, we expect them to uh, manage and operate in an ordered curbside and are looking for um, to improve customer service and and uh, just the orderly um, administration of the queue. And at times that results in conflicts uh, between drivers, uh, with drivers and curbside staff. Um, and that's, that's and that's a uh, an issue that we anticipate ABM continuing to manage. Um, so directly, we don't have exact statistics today, Commissioner, on how many disputes may come. But again, these are the, the behavioral or just the uh, the swift decisions that are made at the curbside to help move the operation along, and uh, that's and that's the nature of the disputes. I think that are in question um, related to ABM. Thank you, and that additional information would be helpful to have. Um, my other question is is uh, does ABM have a dispute resolution process or how do they deal with conflict? Is that something that is part of their contract or something? So Jeff, Jeff can, yeah, and Jeff can uh, jump in here as well, but there is an anticipation for customer service and, and training for those individuals when there is a, a failure. We do talk to the VO about the incidents at the curbside and where we were lacking service uh, from one of our curb, the curbside management staff um, and a dispute. So we do discuss that in the monthly meeting. Um, if there does seem to be a failure, we do take that up with our contractor, ABM, um, straight away. Um, and at times that they're adjudicating sometimes between individual drivers. But I will say that this is a professional uh, workforce. They're very the professional driving workforce and they're very good at what they do. Um, so there are limited, these, these incidents do tend to be limited um, at, the, at the curbside. Well, I hear that. I think, you know, training around customer service is always required and even the best person requires uh, additional trainings. And so I think it's important that have some of that embedded in the contracts. Um, I wanted to know, ABM's uh, contract, when is that expiring? I know that we renewed it for about a year and um, we can terminate that, but I, I wanted to know, are we intending to go through an RFP process um, for that, that contract? Yes. Yeah, so I'm gonna look, thank you, Jeff. Sorry, Peter, uh, so I can answer that question. Um, so we did, you're, you're correct, Commissioner, just uh, recently extend the ABM agreement um, their contract is actually a little bit staggered. The pilot program itself um, begins on October 1st of every year. Um, so we did uh, move the pilot program into a holdover. The ABM contract um, starts on November 1st. So um, we did extend the ABM agreement for the uh, fiscal year of 20, the end of 22 to into 23. So through October of next year. Uh, we have one more option year available to us at that point, so we could extend it another year going from 2023 into 2024. Um, but you are also correct that we have the ability through the contract to terminate at any time for any reason. 
Um, so it really provides us the flexibility if we need to go that direction. At this point, we have not made a determination. Um, part of, of you know, what we're going to see with this new program in the next year will help uh, educate us and understand which direction we need to go. Do we need to issue an RFP or not? Yeah. So there's, there's options there. And I'm not suggesting that we terminate, but I think going through an RFP process would help us at least be able to see what some of those conflict resolutions that they have in place or if we're renewing to be able to incorporate some of that. The other thing is, um, so we oversee the, the curbside management technically, right? And so I know that we've heard directly from um, Teamsters 117 around um, dispute resolution process that they have models that they've suggested and it sounds like the quarterly monthly meeting is not working for all of the drivers and some of their issues are not being elevated properly um do you guys see us and maybe this comes from my colleagues but as part of the the pilot program are there ways that we are there models out there even within our region maybe city of seattle and other parts of the county uh dispute resolution processes that really dig into the actual issues that they are are uh elevating um there certainly could be you're right there's a variety of issues that we hear both um just on a daily basis from the driver community as well as in our monthly meetings uh quarterly stakeholder as charla alluded to we get quite a few um just within the numbers in the program uh different perspectives we have a very robust dispute resolution process in place now that applies across our ground transportation system it's not just for one uh, provider um, so one of the the challenges that we have is maintaining that consistency of how we uh, resolve disputes uh, between what might be come up through let's say our taxi program versus our tnc versus our limo or shuttle program so one of the areas is the consistency that we need to have but I think what we've learned and what we'll see in the industry is that the, the continuation, the need for exploration of processes as the industry continues to change, which could include, may include dispute resolution. So at this point, I think it's open, uh, continue for discussion. I think it is one of the valuable parts of the outreach that we do uh, to be able to hear this firsthand. That was one of the reasons we moved into the pilot program so that we could hear directly from the drivers themselves. So I think that's been extremely beneficial through this process. Absolutely, and I think there's been great progress that has been made and there is room for us to improve. And so that's the areas that I would like to focus on. And I'll just say in closing that um, we will be bringing this uh, up as through a commission order to be able to uh, specifically uh, share some of the changes that are happening with the pilot program. For the most part, there's not a lot of changes as part of this pilot program with the exception of the virtual queue being introduced as, a, um, as an idea to be able to do some education and outreach around it, but I definitely want us to figure out a good dispute resolution uh, for the drivers and that we have some work to do there. So that concludes my questions and thank you for the time. Commissioner Cho. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let me just start by saying I recall when I first joined the port and I met with uh, Commissioner Courtney Gregoire, the first comment she made to me uh, out of anything was that Sam, you have no idea. I, I know enough about taxi policy to get a PhD. So um, her, uh, her comments are not lost upon me because it, it, she was alluding to how complicated this issue it really is and uh, how, how many moving pieces there are, how many jurisdictional issues there are. And so I think we are getting the full breadth of that right now. Um, I also want to take a moment to thank the drivers for taking time out of their day 
you all could be driving, making money right now, and you're sitting here uh, standing up for yourself. So I commend you, and I thank you for your time. I, I hope you, uh, you find it's worth your while. Um, to my earlier point about how complicated this is, you know, this is an industry that is fast changing, uh, that has been around for a long time, and we're dealing with a lot of issues, quite frankly, that uh, some of which we're not even sure if we have legal authority over and whether or not, um, you know, we are exposing the port to undue risk. And so, um, you know, I want to thank the, the representatives from, uh, of the drivers for all their feedback and all their engagement. Uh, I realize that what's before us isn't perfect. Um, and, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get to perfect. Uh, but the reality is that, uh, you know, Commissioner Mohammed and I have been extremely engaged with both the driver community and uh, their representatives. We took a tour of the lot. We had conversations with the, the operator, the curbside management operators, as well as drivers to figure out exactly where we can find a place that is considered a sweet spot for everybody. Um, and it's a work in progress. So I'm not going to sit here and say that this agreement here is perfect. I understand the concerns of uh, the drivers. I don't know if I would go as far as to say that it's a blank check, but I understand the concerns that you have around fees and us potentially raising them exorbitantly over the years. Uh, and so I hear you, and we hear you, uh, and we will make sure to look at the language to make sure we address that. Um, I also want to address uh, a concern of mine that we've been dealing uh, with for many years, and uh, it's the short, short trip issue. And I understand um, fully why that is a huge issue for you all. Uh, and I think that is probably one of the more complicated issues because there's questions about whether or not King County needs to deal with it, whether we have the legal authority to deal with it. I thought we had a, I thought we had a, uh, uh, a compromise on it with the surcharge, and then we heard that we didn't want that, so we pulled that back. But I think uh, that is just a testament to the fact that we are listening. And when we're told that the drivers don't want something, we take that into account, and we don't just ram things through uh, like it might have been in the past. Um, I did want to ask a question, though, with regards to the citations um, for clarification. On curbside management, does ABM issue the citations to the drivers? When you no, say- Commissioner oh, yeah. Cho, so excuse me, sorry. Commissioner Cho, uh, for citations that are formally offered, they, those are issued by ground transportation controllers. Those are Port of Seattle staff. Okay, so they're separate from ABM. Correct. And then can you also clarify for me, when you said that they're, who, who settles those citations if they're disputed? So yeah, so there is a process that goes through um, initial citation, and there's some documentation um, about the nature of the citation, whether it was an AVI card, if it was a lack of a license, et cetera. And that goes to an appeals hearing, if, um, if so requested by um, the, the driver. Um, and then at that appeals hearing, there's an ability to have whomever you like to represent you uh, at that, at that uh, uh, meeting. And documentation is supplemental of documentation to be provided, and then the final um, decision is made uh, following that evidence and, and process. So the entity that does the dispute settlement is a third party. Or no, that, we no. we handle that. It's still an internal oh, port the, process. The port yeah, so port staff, GT controller staff, um, still handle that aspect of the of the dispute resolution okay. for the citation. Okay. With regards to dispute resolution, I do know for a fact that uh, Seattle has the DRC, 
which I may have had a hand in establishing in my prior employment, and, uh, and the state legislature also recently passed uh, a framework that includes dispute settlement. So I would encourage staff to look at that and see if there are any parallels or lessons learned that we can adopt, adopt here at the Port of Seattle. I'm sure our friends over at the Drivers Union also have thoughts on that as well. Uh, but I do think that there are some places we can point our fingers to for some guidance, and, uh, and, and I look forward to seeing what we can come up with in the first quarter of, uh, of next year. I think that's it for me. Commissioner Fellman. <clears throat> thank you. Once again, it's uh, a long process, and thank you for um, recounting the history so my, all my colleagues can be up on this wonderful process that we've been through, this evolution that we've all got to live together. And um, I clearly see that there's improvements that we've made along the way, and uh, I appreciate the amount of time and effort all of you have put in to achieve that, because it's substantial. It's, uh, it's, it's not easy, and it's evolving. So it's moving parts, and, uh, but I, I do see definite progress along the way. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. The, um, one of the things that was really kind of novel about the sort of the pilot project besides the direct contracting and all that was this inclusion of driver's voice. And, but there was an immediate confusion, including for me, was in terms of when that voice was to be heard. And, and that was, uh, I, I thought the initial purpose of it was to really deal with the more of the day-to-day -day operational stuff, you know, how to, how to contend with challenges that you face, and whereas, and then be able to make you know in situ corrections or changes, uh, whereas, as I understand it, the drivers have been told, we'll collect this information and then put it into the next pilot project. And so I know getting off the gate, out of the gates, this was a disconnect, and and I think it was raised once again, as far as. You know, adaptive management goes. Going over a whole year before you adapt is harder, I think, although it's well informed. I, I am concerned that one of the things that most informed that we need to be is about the short trips and we continue to punt this one. And not that if it was easy it would have been done, but the fact is that I, I'm disappointed that we haven't found out a system, especially when, I don't know whether it's you or somebody else, I, I thought it was a pretty creative idea of having, you know, you have your short trip day and you have your long trip day. And so there are two different queues and you could reduce the fee for the guys that are on the short trip, but they're going to get a higher round, you know, more frequent short trips. I mean, I, I haven't asked you guys about it, but it has some cleverness to it. And um, although you might have a higher rate of absence on short trip days, but be that as it may, um, there are many ways of skinning this cat. Now, I have been frustrated by being told, well, you know, all this other stuff is going on in King County. And um, so I finally started calling up King County, not knowing that you guys were on it. But, we, you know, I'm not on the aviation committee, so I haven't been as attuned as I've been in the past, perhaps. But um, as I understand, you know, King County is actually next week or next month finally going to do something, which is extraordinary given the years it has taken. Um, but I believe primarily we're dealing with, you know, I think doing away with flat rate cabs and doing dual licenses for everybody. Um, and so there's that uniformity, which I'm not sure how much it would affect, you know, our operations, but that clearly is yet another evolution in the 
status of what is a cab. Um, but I did not get a sense whether they were going to address the short trip fee. And you know, I asked them directly. Um, and so, but you know, our short trip is perhaps still different. But from what I understand is we have the authority. The question is, is it for us to exercise? And you know, I, I, I believe that um, I want to hear more directly from King County. We've probably been saying this for a long time. But I want to make sure what their intention is with regards to short trips. And if they're still pondering it, I'm inclined to say, well, we'll put it in until they do. And I try to you know, goose them into taking action finally. But I'm not sure that they're intending to address it at all. So you know, there's some way we have to level the score. This is an essential service that's being provided to our traveling public, which is only increasing in population. But it is a disparity between operators that, you know, I, I think there will be some leveling of the square if we're all metered cabs. But this is something that I believe, I, I don't want to see this going forward without this, you know, formally addressed, without just saying we can't get to a decision. We have to have something in place that addresses this. But in terms of this overall uh, issue that I think we have, um, Every history that you provided here was preceded by commission action, commission resolution, commission this from 2016, right? So I don't see any reason why the drivers would think otherwise that it will again be a commission action by the time we all have seen all this, you know, dust settle. And so I mean, from what I'm understanding, the drivers were led to believe otherwise. It's just the way it's been always done. So I assume that we don't have any confusion about that. Is there a is there any misunderstanding here? Um, I would defer to to Aaron uh, or others on the uh, commission action. I, there, it's just the path that uh, you know we've gone down in terms of you know what is required in terms of this new program. I don't think there's any dispute, uh, but it certainly is open for you know whatever is needed. We can do. So I'm going to jump I'll in defer. there too and just say I think I've heard from a commissioner that uh, there's interest in, in preparing an order on this topic, and so I think we should. That but is no, I think that's. But I mean, I, I just don't understand why, given that that's always been what we've done, why why drivers would have been led to believe otherwise. It's not that it's not in the port's authority to do it, but it's a contentious issue that, you know, this is why you get elected to be popular and where the buck has to stop. But um, so anyway, I I just don't know. Whether, why that should even be a confusion. We're gonna, we'll do something together and I just think we shouldn't be arguing about who decides what, what it is that we're deciding on. So let's just put that one to bed and thank you again for continuing to make progress. Okay, and I'm gonna Good. ask Commissioner Muhammad. So, Commissioner, Commissioner, if I could just comment on, in general on things, there's a lot of things we operate on our authority. The commission decides to do what they wanna do in relationship to that, but it's, you know, there's many cases where we just exercise the authority, and then in other cases, the commission decides to take action on it, both both ways. Not just the, you're talking about one yeah. specific issue Fellman. here. No, I'm just saying, Commissioner Fellman. I'm Hold on one second, Commissioner Fellman. Commissioner Muhammad has the floor. He was addressing me, though. I, be that as it may. I will yield my time in just a minute. Uh, all I just wanted to say and clarify is. 
we, after talking, Commissioner Cho and I both serve on the Aviation Committee staff, came and briefed us and said that they would go back and talk to the driver community about the pilot program. The majority of what was in the pilot program was staying as is. Both Commissioner Cho and I believed that would make the drivers happy and that we weren't adding new changes into the pilot program and that staff would take that information to the drivers, but that didn't mean that we were not prepared to take commission action. We were always prepared to take commission action. We were waiting to hear what uh, the driver's were, response was going to be, and then immediately it turned into um, being a part of a larger action. And now, uh, just, just like we said before, we, we are ready to introduce a resolution. We are ready to introduce a commission order to make sure that there is no miscommunication, that there's full transparency and accountability on our end, and that that this is in writing to ensure that we stay on the same page. All right. Um, is it a is it additive to the conversation? All right. Go ahead, Commissioner Helm. Executive metric. Uh, in no way did I suggest that the authority wasn't yours. It's completely within the delegation. It's just that when issues are of such nature, this is where commission policy direction is necessary. Okay, for, for my own comments, uh, you know, I've really been struggling with, I got the presentation, I read through it, I've heard everyone talk here, and it feels to me like nobody has said anything about the elephant in the room, which is on the history slide, uh, which maybe we could pull that up again. Um, you know, we're looking at numbers during this pilot program in which the same number of vehicles is serving one-third of the previous period and, and fully one-quarter of the period before. And our numbers in terms of total passengers have bounced back. So why are we at a quarter of what we were? And Jeff spoke a little bit to, to why that number dropped, but if I had a magic wand and could work to fix this, the, the fixes we're talking about here are, forgive the expression, but it's a little bit rearranging the deck chairs on Titanic. We want to get operations right, but 400 vehicles serving a quarter million people is never going to provide the kinds of wages that we want for that pool. We got to get that number back up to a million. So how do we do that, or at least get the trend going positive? And as someone who has taken a taxi home four times in the last two months, it is not a quality of service thing. I can assure you that. You are meeting the level of service that you get from TNCs. Where I see the lost opportunity is in all those folks who are having a loved one drive them to the airport and pick them up. And we know that in, in ground transportation numbers, it wasn't just the taxis who lost passengers during that period. It was Sound Transit, it was even the TNCs. And so that is the pool of people we need to get into taxis now. It's good for all of you, it's very good for us, because you know how much money we make on every one of those cars, those private vehicles that comes across arrivals or departures? Not a single dollar. All they do is wear down that asphalt. We have to replace it and we don't get to charge them a dime for it. So what I would love to see is addressing what I see as the 800-pound gorilla. How do we get that number, that trips per year, going north again? And my, my, my question is, and I think it's rhetorical, uh, how do we 
change the perception of the passenger so that they think my first choice is to get into a rideshare vehicle, get into a taxi, get into sound transit, find some other way home than having a loved one pick them up and drop them off at the airport. And I think that's critically important for all the reasons I've mentioned. Uh, and I'll tell you, the issue around short trips, the issues, issues around dispute resolution. I, I remember sitting in a meeting with drivers, and the drivers said to me, the short trip problem is exacerbated by the fact that I'm getting fewer and fewer trips. And so now, if I take a short, used to be, all right, I'll take a short trip here and there because I, I'm getting plenty of other drives to accommodate for that. But if the short trip is the only trip you're going to get in a day, that kills you. So I, we got to figure out how to get more folks taking taxis, period. Um, I, I, could, I could spend a little time on this, but one real concern to me is I can't remember the last time I got advertised to by a taxi association, taxi drivers, uh, whereas I'm getting bombarded by advertising from TNC drivers from Sound Transit. And, and honestly, as I mentioned before, I think folks are still, there's a little bit of pandemic-related fear about getting to and from the airport in, in any sort of mass transit or shared transit option. So we gotta overcome that inertia. Um, you know, when I owned a small business, I was a part of a trade association, and a huge percentage of the money that I sent to that trade association was collective marketing. It was saying, you have a choice between this product category which rep the trade as association represented versus this one versus this one. We spent a great deal of money trying to get people to buy our thing instead of the other thing. And I wonder, have you asked your voluntary association to do that, to coordinate that kind of work? Are you putting, are you all saying, hey, let's get together, throw in a little bit of money and start doing some advertising so people know that when you get in a cab, it's safe, it's pleasant, it's cheaper, nine times out of 10, you have real attributes that you get to market to. So uh, again, I'm, I am fully in favor of continuing to improve our process, but I think we really need to address the, the elephant in the room, and that is how do we drive those numbers up. So, and I will work to make sure the port is a partner in that as well. Any other questions or comments at this time on this matter? Go ahead, Commissioner Mohammed. Jeff, I just had, had one last question around workforce development. I remember that that was one of the recommendations that came from uh, the research that was done, that um, we would put some sort of programming or do some outreach to the taxi community around um, workforce development, helping them you know, seek out more newer opportunities as well, those who are interested in that. Um, can you speak on any of that? Uh, well, I, um, I believe what I know of that is that there, there was money approved in the 2023 budget. I don't know what the amount is, though. We can certainly follow up and get that amount. Um, but that whole, the whole effort will be an outreach to our workforce team with um, Bukta and, and Luis Navarro and others uh, to develop a program that, that would work. So I don't have the details on that. That's an area that we want to explore for next year. I wish I could provide you more, <laughs> but no, that's, certainly that's a follow-up on that one. That's great, and that's something we can put in the resolution that's, that's coming. Great, thank you. Sure. All right, uh, hearing no further discussion on this item, we will hear the remaining presentation and staff reports later on in the meeting in the usual order of the agenda. Right now we're gonna move on to the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. 
As a reminder, agenda item 8N has been removed from the consent agenda and will be immediately taken up after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. Thank you all again for coming today. Thank you. At this time, the chair will entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda covering items 8A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, and O. So moved. Second. It has been moved and seconded. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Beginning with Commissioner Chow. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Pelleman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. And with that, the motion passes. Okay. We're going to move directly to item 8N. Uh, Clerk Hart, can you please read the item into the record? And then we'll hear from Executive Director Metric. It's going to be quiet in here. <laughs> This is agenda item 8N, authorization for the executive director to sign a memorandum of agreement with King County substantially in the form attached with minor changes to be approved by legal counsel. To allow the port to collaborate with King County on advancing a regional green jobs agenda is supported by one 12-month Fuse Corps executive fellow with an optional two additional years of the agreement. Um, we have, oh, no, he's still here, okay. <laughs> Commissioners, our workforce development team is requesting commission author authorization is requesting Christmas authorization for the director to sign a memorandum of agreement with King County. The MOA will allow the port to collaborate with King County to hire a Fuse Corps executive fellow for one year. Fuse Corps partners with local governments and communities to more effectively address pressing challenges by placing experienced professionals with city and county agencies. Under this cost-sharing agreement, the Fuse Corps Fellow will design and launch a collective action platform for regional stakeholders to advance green jobs. And so I'm looking here, I guess Tiffany, uh, um, speaking to this, to answer questions will be uh, Tiffany uh, Sevilla uh, from our Workforce Development Program Manager and, and Data Analyst. And I don't know, oh, there you are, Tiffany, hi. <laughs> I'm gonna have, uh, Commissioner Fellman speak to this initially, uh, but could you move the item first? I'd like to move item 8N. Second. All right, it has been moved and seconded. Commissioner Fellman, you have the floor. Just pointing out, uh, Luis Navarro from Workforce Development is on virtually as well. Thanks, Tiffany and Luis. Um, really just following up on the conversation we left off on last time and seeing how when we, first of all, I don't see any reason why Fuse wouldn't do the job great. It seems like they're a great organization. The idea, nothing to argue about, so we're gonna make this pretty short, I think, so not a lot of arm twisting there. Um, the, what, what, it, what was really interesting, just this whole exercise made me go back to look at Resolution 3776, which was um, our workforce development policy and um, as I recall back in the day, that um, the whole real reason for the, prime, a big part of the reason for doing this was really to make it clear that, um, that green jobs were, one, uh, were now the fourth category for port-related industries, right? We have construction, maritime, aviation, green. And, and so that was what I thought was important and so did the rest of the commission. And, um, but in, when, when actually reading the resolution, it, it doesn't really stand out. I mean, we have 
you know, a definition of green jobs and green career, and we have the word inclusive green economy, but when you go and really read into the document, I think it's like referred to like once. So there's a lot of other good things in the resolution, and certainly not your fault, we wrote it, right? So, um, so I, and so I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, so how are we able to um, really, yeah, and we do have this one sentence, which I've referred to before, that you know, such green jobs may include, but not limited to, renewable and solar energy, stormwater management, habitat restoration, carbon banking, ecotourism, sustainable transportation, environmental compliance, remediation, environmental policy, and allowable, as allowable by law. It's always good what you can fit in with a comma. So, um, but, but when we talked about at the other uh, commission meeting, that, that we were really looking at more of the fundamental jobs that are building blocks towards some of these other jobs. And, uh, and I, while I understood that, what I really thought the nature of this motion or resolution and what brings my concern in terms of when partnering with other government agencies who clearly have green agendas as well is that um, I, I just want to know because this is sort of a joint policy agreement that um, I, I don't want us to be at cross purposes. Now, we're giving Fuse the job to try to like, you know, marry the forces, and so it's gonna leave them with a chunk of discretion, I guess, but one of the things that I keep on reflecting on, because everybody's having this workforce challenge, and, um, you know, throughout all the trades, right? And so I'm saying, well, why, why aren't folks more engaged, what, the kids, them kids? And, uh, and I think, quite frankly, if, if rather than saying, um, you know, we need plumbers, right? But, you know, you know we need uh, heat exchangers. You know, we, you know, people want, kids want to be doing right by the environment, right? I think this is an overriding desire. They see their future. So I almost think from a marketing perspective, it's better to sell not the underlying trade, but the outcome. And, and, and in fact, I think elevating these are, the, these are the jobs. Oh, in order to get that job, you need to do the other. Saying, you know, become a pipe fitter is not compelling as much as doing the thing that people want to be doing. So, so I really, I think we did, the commission did a disservice by not, I think, elevating this component. And I don't think maybe we articulated it strongly enough. And I think it's, it's not like it's not the same thing, but I think it, the, the, the emphasis needs to be stronger. So when we go to Fuse and ask them to look at our different approaches, you know, that we don't have a Green New Deal, and the, you know, King County, I mean, it's interesting to me, we have city, county, and port, but the agreement is just with the county. So in terms of, you know, whose policies are officially being merged, I guess that's really my, my question, and I should let you talk at least once here. The, uh, the ability, <laughs> The ability to uh, bring those three entity policies together and in terms of what are we really asking people to become part of? Thank That's you. a question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner. Um, and I appreciate to commissioners and executive director the opportunity just to present um, this proposal that does require collaboration from different government agencies and all stakeholders in green jobs workforce development throughout the region. It's really important that the port is a leader in this work. And while this agreement 
is with King County. The city of Seattle is actually also a stakeholder um, since they wouldn't be part of exactly the financial exchange of money. They're not mentioned in the memo, but they are also part of this. And as the Fuse Corps Executive Fellows scope of work would include a stakeholder listening tour, um, these government agencies are not the only ones whose agendas would be part of um, the work. And the real goal here, right, is to have a framework for regional collaboration because as we have seen in other workforce development efforts, silos really prevent us from delivering excellent and equitable work. And so that's why um, starting with this framework for regional collaboration is an important strategy for the port to be a leader and to collaborate with the county and the city. And I've been totally singing that mantra since being here, we are better together. And I was just trying to hope that we weren't going to be sort of sending mixed messages to Fuse. That was really my concern. Is it, are we selling the basic trades or are we selling the green jobs that require the basic trades? But to your point, we'll get the feedback from the community and that will help bring us all together. Correct. And thank you for taking this on. I'm sure it's gonna be great. Thank you. All right, are there any other questions or comments for Tiffany? Okay. Uh, the. Uh, with that, uh, we will move to a vote. Clerk Hart, can you please call the roll? Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Yes, beginning with Commissioner Cha. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. All right, with that, the motion passes. Okay, uh, now we're moving on to new business. Um, Clerk Hart, you're going to read the first item of the record, and then Executive Director Metric will introduce it. Yes, this is agenda item 10A, introduction of resolution number 3811, a resolution increasing the rate of per diem allowance to Port of Seattle commissioners as provided for by Washington State Statute RCW 5312.060, paragraph 3. Commissioners, I'm going to turn over to David Yeworth, strategic advisor from the Commission Office, but first just a couple comments. Commissioners, uh, ensuring a fair and reasonable compensation for commissioners is key to attracting and retaining high quality and diverse candidates to govern the port. Uh, this action will increase commissioner compensation for future commissioners, setting per diem rates at par with members of the state legislature, something that I support. So thank you, commissioners. David. Thank you, Executive Director Metric, and good afternoon, commissioners. We have a presentation for you this afternoon on the commissioner's per diem. Next slide, please. So first of all, a little context and history. The, the current uh, commission per diem, I'll actually go back a step. In 2013, uh, the commission passed a resolution that tied the commissioner's salaries to the state of Washington legislators. At that time, the commission or the resolution did not address the commissioner's per diem. So today the per diem is $128 per day, up to 120 days per year, for a maximum of, of $15,360. Next slide, please. Since 2013, the workload of commissioners has increased significantly. The most obvious is the addition of the Northwest Seaport Alliance, but also addition of um, commission committees and significantly more stakeholders and more stakeholder meetings, which means that today most commissioners expire their per diem by August, which results in roughly four to five months a year when commissioners are not receiving the per diem. Next slide, please. 
So if you look at the 22, the, the per diem for state legislators in this year, um, the rate was determined by the National Conference of State Legislators, and the rate is $185 per day, which happens to be set at 89% of the federal per diem rate. Next slide, please. The requirements for state legislators to receive the compensation are that they participate in the a day of the, at the legislative session or that they re, um, had a ma majority of the day working uh, on legislative business. Next slide, please. So this proposal, this resolution, would increase the per diem for commissioners to $185 per day, which is commensurate with that of state legislators, and it would give the rate up to 205 days per year for a maximum annual per diem of $37,925. Next slide, please. So this chart gives you a comparison of the, the current per diem and the pros per diem. So again, a rate, the current is $128 per day, $120, or sorry, 120 days per year, $15,360 maximum, and the proposed would be $185 per day, 205 days per year, for a maximum of $37,925. Next slide, please. And then uh, in summary, I, I think some of the benefits and the caveats of this proposal are helpful to be um, cognizant of. The, the Washington Citizens Commission for, on Salaries for Elected Officials has a handful of um, objectives that it carries when it sets the salaries for state legislators, um, in particular to the desire to attract citizens of the highest quality, highest quality to public service and that people who work should be paid according to their duties. Um, I would also add that increasing the per diem um, meets a goal that a number of commissioners have stated, which is to enable and inspire more citizens to run for office, and specifically those that, that don't necessarily have a secondary income or are not necessarily wealthy. And then a couple of caveats. Um, this, with this resolution, as with the salary, the, the, com the commissioners may choose to not receive the per diem by either sending a letter to the secretary or by um, simply just not submitting a requisition. And then finally, uh, this new per diem would only apply to newly elected commissioners or re-elected commissioners. Next slide, please. I appreciate your questions or your comments. Commissioners, questions or comments? Commissioner Cho. Yeah, I'm, um, I just want to start by saying thank you to the staff for all the due diligence and work that they did on this measure. Um, I'm happy to introduce this, uh, you know, order um, on behalf of us as a commission, but also future commissioners. I think this is much of an issue of equity as it is anything else. The reality is that positions like these are often reserved for and or occupied by those who are uh, tremendously privileged, usually financially. Um, and the fact that we are able to, um, I don't know, even the playing field a little bit by providing this modest raise in our per diem, uh, it is, I think, a step in the right direction. Um, I like to think that, you know, we like to make decisions here based on data. And as you presented, uh, the, the, the data is very clear. And that is that we work so hard that we run out of per diem by August. And for the last quarter, at least, of the year, every year, we are not given the per diem or provided the per diem that we are clearly um, working for. Um, I think that this approach of raising the per diem as opposed to our salary or our base salary, I think is uh, especially appropriate uh, because you're basically getting paid for the work that you do. There is no moral hazard here where, you know, you get a salary raise uh, and 
you know, you can kind of slack off and you still get the salary, right? The reality is that you are getting compensated for the work you are putting in. Uh, and I have no, you know, I have no doubts that each and every one of us are putting in the work and that will be reflected in, um, uh, in that. And obviously there's been a lot of conversations both internally and externally about the port commission becoming a full-time position or not. I think we all agree that that has huge implications for the port both within the commission office and with the executive staff. And so uh, that requires a tremendous amount of more due diligence and study that we just don't have time for, that we didn't have time for. Um, and so the, I think this measure that we have before us today is a great intermediary step that uh, kind of uh, takes care of a lot of the bigger issues that we see with uh, when it comes to our compensation. So I'm happy to introduce this. Uh, uh, in full support, and I urge my colleagues also to support it as well. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Well, thank you, and thank you, David, for all the work you've put into that and your very articulate presentation. So I appreciate we don't see you that much up here. Um, so in addition to everything my colleague just said, the, um, the idea that the Port Commission, you know, looking at the amount of work versus what our, our colleagues of equivalent positions have is I think one of the simpler ways of looking at that. And so it was somewhat arbitrary when Tom Elbro uh, said it to the state legislature, but it seemed to make sense and it had its, uh, uh, you know, rate of, you know, um, it had the, the, the rate of uh, per diem was actually set what 89 or percent of the federal per diem. We didn't set that at the time. It was just on the salary side, so it wasn't connected to the federal start, to the policy. And the reason for that, I don't know, I came in, I think, the year after that that was set. Although I gotta say, I wouldn't have run had he not done that. You know, the, um, previously, when I had a different financial world, I was applying to be the, uh, you know, take a, a Courtney or Stephanie's positions that they got, but I would never have been able to do it at this time. So I really do appreciate Tom Albro's effort there because that was not in my ballpark, living on a boat at Shilshul. So um, the, the, uh, the idea though also that to looking at comparable public officials, you know, again, the, we're not even on the PERS system. So it's really quite extraordinary. You know, you can put in a, a long time and this is not even accounted for. And it really just kind of amazes me when you think about you know, whoever wrote the RCW, what were they thinking commissioners were? What we do know is over the course of short amount of time, we now have a staffed office where before when I got here it was not the case, right? And so we are taking on more of a policy role and not just as a check signer. But the idea though that any, you know, year-round public official would be uh, originally given basically just a, you know, a, a per diem and that's it. I, I think that we've come a long way. I think it's to Commissioner Cho's point, uh, you know, pay to play. You don't have to work full time if you don't. You can, you know, if you keep your other job, all that stuff, it's not required of you. Uh, so I really do think this um, threads the needle. I think uh, it's still pretty tough for somebody to live in Seattle area from just this compensation itself, and especially without a, a retirement plan. But I certainly appreciate the effort to move forward, so I will be supporting this. Commissioner Mohammed. 
Um, I'm also in support of this resolution and just want to underscore that, you know, um, the benefits from this resolution will not actually go towards the current commissioners, only future commissioners and those who get reelected. Um, but I think this is a, such an important resolution. It is about equity. It is about leveling the playing field and making sure that we have um, folks who are interested in serving in public office and in these positions from all walks of life. Um, it is very challenging. I do share the sentiments of my, my colleagues. Sometimes I jokingly say if I knew how hard it was would I have run and I understand why I'm the first <laughs> for many reasons. But um, I do love this job and I love the work that happens at the Port of Seattle and do want to encourage people in the public to seek out these positions and have the opportunity to um, be in these roles and I wouldn't want uh, pay and salary to be a reason why somebody doesn't do it so I am looking forward to supporting this resolution today. Uh, I just want to say thanks to Commissioner Cho and Fellman who have done a great job of taking it an initial idea and really um, hearing the input of staff, the public, fellow commissioners, and I think as a result of that, uh, coming up with a, a really, as, as Commissioner Fellman said, uh, threading the needle uh, here on, a, on you know what could be a, a somewhat contentious, but I think is is a, a really well crafted policy uh, that addresses the the issues around equity uh, that have been mentioned and also. Um, doesn't create the moral hazard that we wouldn't have wanted in, in uh, just a straight compensation change, but instead reflects, you know, if you're putting in a day's worth of work that uh, late in the year that uh, it shouldn't be a financial hardship for you to do that rather than go and uh, do paid work somewhere else. So um, with that as a reminder, uh, this is um, an item that will uh, come up again for a vote, and we're actually going to do that vote, the, the second vote, um, on January 24th, 2023, so not the next meeting, but the following meeting. But with that said, uh, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Second. All right, it's been moved and seconded. Uh, Clerk Hart, can you please call the roll? Commissioner, say aye or nay when your name is called. Beginning with Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. All right, the motion to introduce resolution number 3811 passes. Uh, we're now going to move back to item 11 for presentations. Uh, I believe we have one more presentation. Uh, and I'm going to turn that over to Clerk Hart to read it into the record and then Executive Director Metric to introduce it. Thank you. This is agenda item 11B, the 2023 Local, Regional, and Community Engagement Policy Priorities Briefing. Commissioners, under your leadership, the port has ambitious policy and government relations priorities focused on promoting economic opportunities, improving quality of life, advancing trade, travel, and commerce, and operating in an equitable and environmentally responsible, responsible manner. Engaging with our local and regional partners helps make those goals possible. Following the following briefing will outline some of our priorities for engaging with our community and government partners to help fulfill our missions. Uh, the presenters are, we have some in person and some uh, remote, uh, Sabrina Boyu, uh, Regional Government Relations Manager from External Relations, Nate Caminos, Director of Government Relations, uh, External Relations, and Dave Kaplan, Local Government Relations Manager, External Relations. So with that, Sabrina, I'm going to turn it over to you. Great, thank you. 
Well, thank you, commissioners. Thank you, executive Dir director metric for having us. I'm honored to be here. It's very rare that we come in front of you uh, during our, our public commission meetings, but very pleased to be here. As mentioned, I'm Sabrina Bullion, I'm the regional government affairs manager. I've been here now with the port for about two years and it's been truly a wonderful experience. Uh, I have Dave Kaplan with me, our local government relations relations manager with a focus on South Sound cities. And we have our beloved GR director, Nate Caminos in the audience today. Uh, we know we're the last presentation on your agenda. So we're gonna keep this as brief as we can, given that we've already come to you for two, two, ones and met- That's for the leaders. year. Pardon? Sorry for interrupting, but that's for the year you were saying the last presentation. Yes. Uh, we, we, we provided you with a, a briefing two months ago and in preparation for 2023. So we also want to acknowledge the work of our former Eastside Community and Government Relations Manager, Carrie Pravitz. We know that she has, has left the port, but she's also been a major player in, in putting together these priorities. I also want you to note that you all have um, a memo in your briefing documents that provides a, a broader outline of, of what our priorities look like for 2023. But all that to be said, this is our sixth year in which the Commission will adopt policy priorities as it relates, relates to our local and regional government uh, jurisdictions throughout King County. And just with the state and federal legislative priorities you have adopted by our colleagues Eric Schinfeld and Eric Fitch, these local priorities provide staff with guidance to further support the port's goals and objectives in the year ahead. Now, you may know that this approach has uh, has uh, is a little bit different than in years prior. Unlike the past years, this is not an exhaustive list of top priorities. Instead, we determined to highlight and streamline marquee items for 2023 that we can then use when we meet with our local governmental partners. Priorities, priorities reflected uh, in this in this um, presentation, outline your your priorities as commissioners from your planning and budget retreats, and also with executive leaders leadership team input. So these priorities are, are meant to align with the six goals and objectives of the port's foundational document, the Century Agenda. Next slide, please. In contrast with previous years, we will briefly share some of our notable policy advancements in 2022. And then Dave and I will both walk you through the sixth century agenda goals and how they priority, how they how they align with our priorities. Due to time constraints, we won't speak to all of the priorities identified in the briefing memo as mentioned, but we're of course happy to answer questions and further elaborate. And for your awareness, after today's commission meeting, you will continue you, you will then, you will continue to provide feedback and then final adoption will be January 10th. Okay, next slide and I'll turn it over to Dave. Like our state and federal legislative efforts, our local government relations works about leveraging our relationships with local jurisdictions to move our poor policy priorities forward and to help identify opportunities to help support local jurisdictions priorities that align with our own. While there are any number of policy priorities that were advanced uh, in full or incrementally in 2022, we wanted to particularly take note of an agreement on repair of the West Seattle Bridge, 
resettlement efforts for Afghan refugees, promoting local participation in the Community Business Connector Initiative and in combating human trafficking, which has been a multi-year effort, and shared conversations with South King cities regarding workforce development. There are any number of other policies we've helped advance during the year, uh, which help keep the port maritime, economic development and aviation operations and projects moving forward. Next slide, please. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. And and commissioners for awareness, Dave and I are going to go back and forth and, and kind of cover these top priorities as it relates to our century agenda and some of the priorities you have outlined through budget process uh, and goal setting. So the first century agenda is goal one, position the Puget Sound as a premier international logistics hub. Key pieces of this are recognizing our work to advance T5 phase two, and of course the future use of, of Terminal 46, consistent with the goals of the Northwest Seaport Alliance. We know the Alliance is leading this work, but our government relations team is working hand in hand with our Alliance partners on executing what could be the future of Terminal 46. And of course, the, another major item is the protections of no, let, no net loss of industrial lands and also potential for future expansion port ownership along the waterfront. I, I know most of you have been plugged into this and I personally want to thank you. And I also want to thank our outgoing state government relations colleague, Eric Fitch, as, as he moves on, he's been integral into this work. But um, a number of you have been dedicated to this and, and the work will will go on for the next several months. But that is a, a major tenant of our priorities for 2023. And next slide, please. Facilitating business and promoting tourism have obviously been key policy priorities for the port. And nothing's been more important to facilitating that policy goal than improving SEA Airport. This includes pursuing operational efficiencies and customer service improvements, such as through the recent commission approval of approximately $5 billion investment in Ports Capital Program to upgrade SEA and in meeting future regional air transportation needs through the Sustainable Airport Master Plan near-term projects. Part of that advocacy is ensuring that the local airport communities are aware of their opportunities to engage and comment on the release of the SAMP NTP environmental review now scheduled for release in late 2024. Next slide, please. As noted in the prior century agenda goal, tourism plays an important part of growth growing the regional and state economy. Tourism promotion, including promotion of responsible outdoor recreation remains a port priority. Cruise remains an important part of our tourism promotion. The priority focus for cruise is through port leadership and advocacy of a green quarter and in maximizing opportunities for small and local businesses throughout our communities to help supply goods and services to the cruise industry. Next slide, please. Responsible investment in people and facilities are keys to ensuring that everyone will reap the benefits from economic growth. Whether it's an investment in people, such as the work of the Duwamish Valley Community Equity Program and advocacy for youth employment in the maritime industry, or investment in port facilities for alternative fuels, such as hydrogen and support for offshore wind, these investments are called out as priorities for 2023. Next slide, 
please. And I'll turn it back to Sabrina. All right. Century agenda number four, the greenest and most efficient and energy efficient port in North America. This slide just recognizes the fact that we have big priorities around decarbonization on both our maritime and aviation activities, in particular, Pier 66 electrification. It's a very meaningful port that I per, uh, project that I personally have spent a significant time working on. It also means understanding and investi investing in alternative fuels for shipping, and of course, our clean truck program and healthy water right programs such as kelp and seaweed, the seaweed collaborative. On the aviation side, that means thinking about electrification of vehicles on the ground, but also sustainable aviation fuels, which I know Commissioner Fellman has been a leader of. Next slide, please. This is a continuation of our goal four around environmentalism and the two things we want to highlight is the fact that our work continues around prioritizing and being a good steward of our maritime parks including um including the duwamish valley and all of the parks under our purview and it also highlights the fact that we clearly prioritize obligations for cleanup and remediation of all of our sites including the east waterway which will be huge this year and, uh, and performance metrics to meet equity goals for the Duwamish Valley area. And we'll go to the next slide. For the past several years, the port's been taking steps to become a more equitable, diverse and inclusive agency and has begun to take steps to become a model. For 2023, the port priorities prioritizes inclusion by better communicating contracting opportunities to women minority business enterprise firms, by encouraging participation in the minority business accelerator, exploring unique market opportunities in South King County, and through engagement with various communities, including through the Duwamish Valley Community Equity Program, and through an interjurisdictional meeting with the Beacon Hill, Georgetown, and South Park communities. Also, our priorities are engagement with the tribes, uh, the addition of a port government relations staff position specific for tribal relations, inclusion of a tribal engagement internship and initiation of tribal MOUs, which are progressing, are examples of how we'll be addressing this priority. Next slide, please. And back to Sabrina. Thank you, Dave. And I do want to underscore that our work around developing these tribal MOUs have been significant and we are very excited that the commission has approved for us for us to to um, hire an additional tribal relations FTE at some point in the future. This work is substantive and it's need to, needed to occur for a long time and we're very, very excited about it. Um, the next two, two slides continue on um, our century agenda goal five, which has become a model for equity, diversity and inclusion. And it, it, uh, I just want to highlight that a big focus is expanding green jobs, but particularly for underrepresented communities and workforce development that creates career connected learning, learning options for our BIPOC neighbors and residents, including maritime, aviation, construction, and all green jobs. And we can move to the next slide. And this is a uh, this is a maintain for our century agenda goals, just highlighting the fact that 
the um, our our goals are always to be a leader in EDI, whether that's internally at the at the port or with our work with other public agencies and employers. And that certainly will be a driving goal for us in 2023. We can go to the next slide. Being a highly effective public agency means prioritizing the identification of opportunities with local jurisdictions. And that can take the form of looking for ways to collaborate on replacement of public infrastructure as it transitions away from fossil fuels, to advocating for a shift away from toxic substances such as PFAS, to identifying a path for protection of the long-term health of North SeaTac Park. There are dozens of other such examples where alignment of core values and those of our partnering agencies provide an opportunity to further economic opportunity, reduce environmental impacts, or enhance the stewardship of our land. Next slide, please. Being a highly effective public agency means doing so with an eye or focus on equity and environmental justice. It means prioritizing equal protection and equal enforcement of environmental laws and regulations, advancing environmental and health hazard mitigation strategies, and ensuring meaningful engagement for healthier communities. It means prioritizing the sound insulation program to live up to our obligation to meet the 2026 completion goal that was set by commission. And it means exploring partnerships with airport communities for pedestrian and bike commuter improvements. Next slide, please. Again, just a reminder, the briefing memo contains the specific priorities that we've spoken to in today's presentation, and we're happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you, Dave and Sabrina, for the presentation. Uh, and I'm going to turn it over to commissioners for questions and comments. Commissioner Feldman. Uh, thanks so much and appreciate the multiple shots at this and uh, we'll take one more. Um, I'm, I think almost all the things are there. Um, I, I have a question about sometimes where the bullets are placed. Um, although Sabrina, you did bring up something that I thought we both share a great value in, but I don't think, it was the only one that I don't think was mentioned was the uh, M, tribal MOU and liaison. So those are sort of like two new things for next year. And I don't know whether you want to, unless I missed it. I know there's tribal internship, but I didn't see the, anyway, mm -hmm. it's something that tribal engagement internship program was the one tribal thing I saw. So I don't know, that would be, an, you know, the, those are significant advances for next year that I wouldn't not want to elevate. Um, but I guess it's the, it's my confusion is with crews, um, as is with a lot of people. But the uh, the idea that whether crews are uh, initiatives with crews, whether it be the green corridor or the shore power or the no discharge issues, um, should that be an under being the greenest port? Or um, when I see uh, responsibly invest in economic growth in the region for all its communities, and, and that's where we see spearhead the development of the Green Corridor, I, I, I question is that the, really the right place to put it? Um, and, then, and then similarly, there was the, uh, the one other place where, where it was put struck me as peculiar. I, don't, I would assume, Executive Metric, you had a chance to see this as the meaningful spot for these things. 
but there, there was one other place for cruise. Let me just quickly see if I can put my finger on it. Oh yeah, for for regional policy, greenest, most energy efficient port, um, we include shore power to Pier 66 and shipping decarbonization. So the green is in there. The the green corridor, though, is not considered a green initiative. So, I again, we have we don't say cruise when we say 66. Um, again, both those things are all good. I, I just was wondering where we would want to put them. That was right where they're placed in the because it seems like they can go in multiple different. Yeah, I mean, but uh, locations to have green corridor not be under green was surprising to me, but. I can see. Anyway, cruises in two different places. I would suggest that we could perhaps find another way to uh, group it. But anyway, I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Yeah, Commissioner, and this is for my for the record too, Nate Caminos, Director of Government Relations here at the Port of Seattle. Your earlier comment or question was regards to the tribal MOAs and, and how were they reflected here. And just to reflect in terms of the memo, it's objective 14, the first three bullets. Uh, or addressed there in addition to objective five in the memo as well. And so as Sabrina and Dave had given you this presentation, we certainly didn't want to cover the whole six pages of the memo itself. And it's kind of like the high level highlights. And so um, if we can discuss more, if there's interest about uh, talking about the accomplishments of, and thanks to your support for an FTE for next year's budget too. But I'm happy to talk about that with you more offline after today. Great. Thanks, Commissioner. All right. I've checked in with the other commissioners as well. I, I, I just want to say it, it's a it's a great uh, memo and presentation. I really like how you've organized it under uh, the Century Agenda goals. That really helps to uh, – I know that oftentimes there are places where items are contributing to multiple, um, but I think that is a really nice rubric for understanding things. Um, Thank you, everybody. With no further questions on that, um, I think we are now at the time where we have concluded our business meeting. Uh, but we do have a couple of things to do before we close the meeting. First, I'd like to give the Florida Executive Director Metric, who's going to recognize uh, somebody who we're losing here in just a sec. So I'm going to turn it over to Steve for that. Thanks, Commissioner. I know it's been, it's uh, you know the day. It's the end of the day, but I think that uh, I'd like to spend a couple minutes. I'd like to, I'd like to uh, um, bring up uh, Eric Fitch. Eric, please come up and join us up here. So, you know, things are always... I shave every day. I didn't know this was going to happen. <laughs> uh, you know, let me just say, Commissioners, thank you for a couple minutes. I think um, things are always in transition here at the port, and we'd like to mark some special milestones with that and, 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 and thanks for our indulgence here to bring up. Everybody knows Eric Fitch. Um, you know, this is the last such meeting for the commission meeting for him. He's our uh, senior manager for uh, state government relations and he'll be leaving us for a few weeks as we know uh, to be the executive director of the uh, Washington Public Ports uh, Association. So uh, WPPA in doing that, he'll leave it as his executive director. You know, he's a, uh, um, I'm just going to reflect on my short time here. You know, Eric is uh, um, a native of the Pacific Northwest and, uh, you know, a big fan of everything here in the Pacific Northwest. He's eyeing me really badly here, so I don't know. There's nothing really nefarious about this, Eric, you know, in this. You know, he began his career. I'll try to enjoy I mean, it. <laughs> uh, you know, began his career in Washington, D.C., and worked for uh, Congresswoman um, 
uh, Bonamici out of uh, Oregon, and then worked for uh, Congressman, and, and then uh, our current governor, Jay Inslee, and also worked for Senator Cantwell as well. And, uh, and then he joined the port about seven years ago. And so he must uh, and during that time, he's built a profile in Olympia. He's done an incredible job. I mean, over my time here, just knowing um, that Eric, his expertise and looking at everything related to the, the port and understanding all of it and, and really simplifying it into elevator speech length. And so getting the cogent points across and supporting me when I was in Olympia. And I, I hope that you all feel supported well from his efforts down there. And I think he's really advanced all the legislative accomplishments uh, for us going forward. I mean, the uh, uh, just so many different things that he's carried our water in down in Olympia. So I just want to say, uh, you know, for us, and then focusing through WPPA, industrial lands, and all of our, uh, even through COVID and all the issues related to COVID, keeping those communications going with, uh, with uh, Olympia and keeping all that work going was incredibly valuable to the port. And his contributions uh, in this short period of time have, have really been uh, very large and it's deeply appreciated. So I just thought that I'd uh, um, get this opportunity, commissioners, and, and so we can uh, uh, you know, bring up all Eric's bad points here, I think. <laughs> is, uh, Thank you, Executive. Any comments from commissioners? Commissioner Cho? Yeah, so um, this is a bittersweet month for me. Obviously, Eric, you and I go back to Olympia when I was uh, a staffer in the state legislature. Uh, but I can't uh, say enough good things about the work that you do, how you approach it, how much respect you have in Olympia, uh, and how much of a big win this is for WPPA, and quite frankly, for us as a port and as a member of WPPA. I say it's bittersweet because on one end, I know this is a tremendous opportunity for you, uh, you know, personally, but also professionally. Being in an executive role and a manager role will be a tremendous growth opportunity for you. But it's a little bitter because we know the caliber of a staffer that we're losing here at the port. And so uh, I say this to everyone who leaves the port, but <laughs> I do believe this uh, when I say that you're always welcome back here. You have a ho always have a home here. I think you know that. Um, Pierce is uh, shaking his head. <laughs> but, um, but we are going to miss you here. You're not going far. You're, you're going to be around. Uh, I'm looking forward to working with you. Uh, in, in your new capacity. Uh, I'm really glad the port is finding uh, it, itself uh, with a new ally at WPPA. Don't tell your board that, but um, <laughs> really looking for, I'm really happy for you and congratulations. I was actually going to uh, roast you so that your, your so WPPA re rescinds their uh, <laughs> offer of employment, but I figured I can't I keep waiting for like a slideshow. Can't sabotage you <laughs> enough. I yeah. wish I had some photos. photos. Commissioner Feldman. Oh, speaking of that, I mean, I was just wanted to, I just wanted, to, I just wanted to concur with Executive Metrics' uh, uh, point about you being simple. You know, that was um, that was a really good way. I thought a really concise way to describe your your capabilities. So actually, it's really your self-effacing qualities, giving your talents. That's one of which is really quite remarkable and uh, makes it easy to hang with you. And I enjoyed going to Europe with you. But the idea that um, when you present yourself to authorities, you speak with authority, but humbly. And I think that's super well received. And your sense of humor, you can even take a, a left-handed joke that I, <laughs> that I did. And it's appreciated very much. I do um, like to joke with you in the past about how WPPA could be much more of an organization that it is, than it is. And I think it's phenomenal that after all of our 
you know, complaining that you're actually going to be able to do something about it. <laughs> and, and then you also have your partnership with our current president as its president. So I really see the port having a huge opportunity to really take an etch-a-sketch moment with the WPPA and really have it live up to what it should be able to do. And I, I, uh, I challenge you to um, not try to be something for everyone. And like the, the major weakness I found for the WPPA is that it, it's trying to serve all the ports in everyone's little fiefdom. And quite frankly, there are unifying things that we all can stand together. And WPPA will be that much stronger when we can all lean in together rather than being distracted. And I understand you understand the big priorities. And I see you as being able to take the reins in such a fantastic way. Now we have to hire. I did go to the executive. I saw you. I saw you there. Yeah. And so but when I went to the Environment Committee and uh, the, exec, the acting executive came in there and said, well, we haven't hired the new Enviro person. And I go, why is that? Because nobody's applied? They go, no, we had 23 applied, but we didn't find any of them suitable. <laughs> and you so want to be I, on the interview panel for that? Yeah, no. So I, I just said, well, <laughs> I just said, obviously, you used a lower standard for the executive position. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's Come kick on, it over guys. Come on, guys. You know, this is what the, I said. This is, is what I said. We love you, Eric, came. and we're going we're gonna to find you soon enough. So anyway, thank, thank you. you. I appreciate that. Commissioner Muhammad. We could always count on Fred to roast someone on record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eric, um, it's been great working with you. It's been a short period of time, but I really have appreciated your wisdom, your honesty, and just your knowledge. You know so much, and so I, I definitely feel like it's a great loss to the port, but I'm looking forward to working with you in other ways and um, just excited for your future, and think of us always. Thank you. <laughs> if you want to come back, you're always welcome, like Commissioner Chosen. All right, that's two to one, there you so go. yes, thank you. I will, We're yeah. gonna, thank you. Pierce thank is going to be outcounted. <laughs> And I'll, I got to uh, say in front of 250 commissioners and port executive directors and, and other uh, dignitaries in the port community how excited I am to get to work with you um, at the WPPA meeting last week uh, where you were appointed and, and I was elected as president for the coming year. And so um, I will say, uh, having worked with you now for five years, it's always kind of frustrating because I sort of have my lane and then I walk into a room and here's a guy who's taller and better looking and funnier and smarter and redder hair just taking up my lane um, but <laughs> in all honesty I, I think of you as a dear friend and I'm really excited to get to work with you and and notwithstanding a year as president of the executive committee I'm, I'm excited that I don't have to be your boss anymore and I get instead to, to be truly up here and I think a big part of it is because um, I know your values and I think what you're going to do statewide for ports will be hugely uh, both influential and positively beneficial and we are as you've heard me say a thousand times we're entering into such an inflection point uh, in our economy in our society and ports are going to be a key part of that transformation so we need really extraordinary leadership like you bring so good luck at the WPBA we're going to miss you a great deal. Thank you. Thank you. Do I get to respond? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I, I was not really expecting this until Pierce sent me a text last night saying, you will be at Pierce 69 tomorrow, more, tomorrow afternoon. Um, I'm really glad I don't have to say goodbye to you all. You know, I, I would roast you all, but now you're five of my 235 elected bosses across the state. So uh, you're all great. I love each and every one of you. Um, <laughs> 
I, I think Fred's, uh, Commissioner Fellman's words are ringing in my ears because uh, for those of you who've been my friends and some family, I'm often criticized of trying to be everything to everybody. And uh, I think that I had just promised to my wife I would stop doing that and then I'm taking this job now where I'm gonna try actually to do that uh, professionally. Um, but without getting weepy or misty, really I, I grew up here. I mean, I've been here for seven years and I moved back from DC as sort of a generalist lost out coming out of Congress and this was where I grew up and where my career kind of took off so I cannot thank you all enough um, Fred and I ran into each other on a dock in San Salmon Islands three months before I started here three months before he started here and neither of us knew that this collision course was coming um, and then you know Sam and I met in in Olympia and I don't think I expected us to have this relationship I remember when Commissioner Calkins was running and I thought oh god this his, his ideas are just so big and and then he still has them and they work you know I mean I think our all of us run the risk of thinking that Commissioner Calkins has an idea he can't successfully pull off so that would be my cautionary tale to anybody coming after me uh, and then when Commissioner Muhammad and Commissioner Hasegawa got elected everyone's like oh you better be careful you got these young progressives from South King County and I think we all thought great about time and it's been really and I remember going and, and dropping off the the hat and the pin when you first got elected and uh, and just think loving the energy you brought so I'm really looking forward to keeping you all super invested um, Steve um, has been an incredible boss and also the only person who tried to talk me into staying for the record um, but um, you and I I I have learned sorry Pierce it's true though um, but no, I, I've learned a ton from you, and I, I think the world of you and your leadership style. And I think it says a lot about the port that everybody who works here has been here forever. I mean, I can't believe I'm leaving after seven years. It makes me feel like everybody else knows something I don't. Um, and then um, Nate came in and got to be my boss again after having been kind of my boss in Cantwell's office. And uh, you wouldn't want, really want to have somebody as a boss twice unless it was Nate, who's about as uh, supportive and collaborative as, as they come. And then course Pierce came here and we all thought who is this guy and why does he talk like that and he's a comms guy and he'll never be able to run government relations and uh, just the, the way that he's um, run our department I think everybody I think I speak for all of external relations when we say how grateful we are for his leadership and that's um, because you all have given him that authority and, and that independence to run that department so uh, like I said, I don't have to say goodbye. The great thing about this job is that I still work for you. So um, thank you for giving me a chance to say a few words. And uh, thanks to me for not totally breaking down. <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. Executive Director, you have one more item? And we have one more person we'd like to recognize. You talk about long service to the port. I'd like to call up uh, Sergeant Addison. Uh, Pat, we won't make this as uh, as. This is not my comfort zone. I <laughs> know. Uh, I think <laughs> I just want to reckon, take a couple moments. This is just because uh, um, you know my short time here and just uh, you know just whenever something was developing, um, I think it always gave me a sense of assurance, Sergeant, when when I knew that you were there. And uh, we've had some, uh, you know, some things that are routine and then some things not routine. And I just deeply appreciate that. And I know you're super double embarrassed to be up here. And I know if you did knew that, that that wouldn't happen. But 33 years of service to the port, um, 
uh, the head of the marine unit and uh, the dive unit during that time probably the, you're the most I think you're the most senior person right now in the police force that I am yes experienced experience that, that sounds better yeah that uh, with that but I just want to thank you for your service uh, uh, to the especially in support of us at the Commission meeting here and all those things in uh, in just the leading with your professionalism so I just want to give you a special shout out for that thank so so <laughs> and you can blame you can blame Chief Via for allowing me to do embarrass you. <laughs> All right, one one little housekeeping reminder: we do not have a meeting on December twentieth. That one's been canceled. Uh, commissioners, do any of you have any um, items to refer to committee or any other closing comments? No, just a happy holiday and happy new year to everyone. Thank you for a great year. We had one other person leaving that it was worth noting. It's Ambrin. Um, for running our uh, internship program and her numerous other joyous talents and enthusiasm that she brought to this organization was extraordinary. I don't know how long she's been here, but all I know is she's been working hard ever since she's been here. And so I really do, I love the fact how much she loved what she did and I, it was contagious. And I think the people that had the benefit of being under her tutelage felt it. And uh, I think they responded in kind and big pair of shoes to fill there and uh, we really appreciate uh, folks who, who want to step into that role. I think it's a huge uh, ambassadorship to the organization to reach out into the community to bring them into our uh, show us show them our under the under the uh, under the cloak behind the screen and uh, we're proud of being able to show those communities and the outreach to the tribal community was particularly uh, appreciative and uh, I look forward to folks continuing on. I have two other real quick things. One is the NDAA is about to pass, the National Defense Authorization Act, and it's littered with things that the port really has got priorities of, from sustainable aviation fuels, to shore power, to underwater noise quieting, to innovation for ship designs. We're very lucky. Adam Smith has been a champion at that end, and uh, we have Senator Cantwell and uh, Representative Larson to Thank for that, we expect that any day now. And then uh, finally, because we will not, um, we will not be present, uh, but we have the, um, and just wanted to get the date straight, uh, from December 18th to the 26th will be Hanukkah. And uh, this Hanukkah is, um, uh, not the Hanukkah itself, but it is a particularly troubling time to be Jewish given the amount of anti-Semitism that has been going on. We have had just recently, um, uh, Mr. Kane and the bipartisan group of colleagues urged the president to develop a national strategy to combat anti-Semitism and strengthen the response. There's like a, a remarkable rash. And so, and the Anti-Defamation uh, League, you know, they track this sort of stuff. And I just thought it was kind of interesting. Just in Washington alone, there were 34 incidents in the past year. But I just thought, I just, and I will end on this that um, there were two incidences that they, we considered anti-Semitic incidents. And one was um, a man was harassed by a Jewish neighbor with anti-Semitic slurs and performed the Nazi salute, and that was considered a incident. And there was another incident where a Jewish individual was harassed by two passengers and directed at a Sikh Heil at him. And I've had the pleasure of having to suffer that indignity here every time Mr. Zinnerman speaks, and so, 
according to the anti-Semitic incident tracker by the ADL, that's one of note. So thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Well, I'll, I just wanted to say uh, quickly, today's the last um, Port Commission meeting, which kind of marks my um, completion of my first year on the commission. And I just wanted to thank both uh, President Calkins and uh, Vice President Cho for your leadership and for welcoming me on this commission and all the incredible folks who work at the Port of Seattle. It's been an awesome year. And so just want to express my deep gratitude for both of your leadership and the hard work and time commitments that you guys put into this, this commission and your advice and guidance. And so thank you so much. Similarly, I was. <laughs> oh, I was similarly going to uh, thank Commissioner Calkins for his leadership. Uh, I think you've run this year, uh, you know, with tremendous, tremendous poise and uh, showed great leadership. Um, and I really thank you for that. I think it's lost upon a lot of people how much more time it takes to uh, be president. Uh, I may be learning that lesson very soon here. But um, thank you so much for everything you've done this year. It's been a smooth year thanks to your leadership, and uh, we're all better for it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, it's sort of like a, I, I feel like the commission is like a basketball team. We all, um, it, it really requires all of us to be uh, doing our part to be successful at it. And I think that has been a great year this year for that. Um, I, I have one thing that I want to share um, as we wrap up this meeting and before we adjourn. So there's somebody who makes my life as a commissioner so much easier, has, has ensured that I am successful in what I'm pursuing, that all of us collectively do better, and I want to call that person out for another extraordinary year, and that's Leanne Sherrado. She, uh, she is, she's truly a dear friend to me, and um, she has a heart for public service, if you know her professional history. Uh, she's an extraordinary mother to her sons, she is an example of authentic community engagement for those communities around the Port of Seattle. And uh, unfortunately, she got a promotion this year, so I don't get to have her as my advisor next year. She's really been serving double duty the last six months of this year uh, as our deputy chief of staff at the commission office. Uh, and so I'm going to uh, miss her as my right-hand person going forward. Um, but I really, you deserve all sorts of uh, kudos and thanks and public engagement. And so I'm hoping that you'll um, accept Aww. these. That's so sweet. <laughs> Second that. <laughs> <laughs> That's been moved and seconded, yeah, for sure. All right, it is now 319, hearing no further comments and having no further business. If there is no objection, we are adjourned for the year. Right. Ooh. Ooh.